Hey, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Hope you're doing well. Oh, my gosh. It's less than two weeks to the U.S. election. Maybe you've heard of the U.S. election. Been a little bit in the news lately. <laughs> and um, I hope you found the uh, second debate as engaging as the first one. Just shows you what a good moderator can do to keep things relatively sane. So um, we have got someone on the line tonight we've talked with before. And uh, I will link to the show uh, before the 27-year-old virgin. She may, in fact, well, one of those variables may have changed. 27? We'll see. We'll see. But she's here to talk with us tonight, and um, uh, it's a great to have her back. It's great to have you with us this evening, and uh, let's, uh, let's take it away. So you've got, I guess, a message, an email, a text that you were going to start with. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. This was my email to uh, James. Hello, Stefan. I considered all the things we talked about from our last phone conversation regarding myself and James. I went on several dates and chatted with some great guys and some not-so-great guys. Each time, I realized that I kept wishing James was sitting in front of me and not some random man. He is truly the best person for me, and I am allowing myself to show my love for him in the way I have always imagined myself loving him. However, of course, since I am an overthinker, there is something I am still struggling to work through. It is definitely a deep-seated issue of sorts that I have gotten away with not addressing. The only way I know how to describe it is a complete disassociation from my body and from myself as a sexual being. I cannot seem to be both emotionally intimate and physically intimate with a man, despite wanting to be both with James. In the past, I'm either totally numb and disconnected emotionally, and only focusing on what is physically happening. And if I am not numb, I'm in a state of panic. I have only experienced this panic with James, and I cannot abide it. I would say it is part of the reason I took a step back, because I felt just too known by him. I have a difficult time understanding what being a healthy relationship looks like, despite having many healthy non-romantic relationships. I honestly do not know what to do. I want him, and I know we will have a good life together. Literally, the life I have always imagined us having since we met. I have said for years that I want someone like him who is not him. As I've searched, I learned that James loves me as I am, and there is not anything I have to do or become other than the best version of the me he already loves so much. There's truly no one else like James. I know that I have a tendency to go towards dysfunctional men because it allows me to, as you said, erase myself. So I do not have to deal with my own issues because I am too busy managing someone else's. I have managed other people's issues my whole life, it seems, and I'm still managing them. But James does not have any issues for me to manage, forcing me to have to manage my own, which I obviously do not want to face because I do not know how to fix it. I often relate to Scarlett O'Hare from Gone with the Wind, and I wish that was not the case, as she is pretty awful in many ways. On her wedding night with her first husband, Charles, she panics, as it did not occur to her that in marrying this shy boy, she would be tasked with sharing his bed. That's how I feel sometimes. It's as if it does not fully occur to me that the man I marry will also know me as no one else does. And it is horrifying to me. Help! Exclamation mark. All caps. Oh, yeah, I, th I think the uh, exclamation mark in all caps is kind of wound in through the, uh, <laughs> the message as a Indeed. whole the whole thing. <laughs> okay, so do you want to just give a quick recap of the major stuff we talked about last time? Oh, 
certainly. Well, um, we had a conversation and then James also had a conversation, but they were both separate. And I was just expressing to you that I felt like he was not um, assertive enough. And that was concerning to me for many reasons, just because I do want to, um, if we have children, which is a, another topic, but I do want to obviously be the one who stays home. So in order to be able to provide such a life, a man needs to have this um, this tendency to be assertive. So that was concerning. And then we also just discussed a lot about my parents' history and why my tendency does tend to be to go towards um, destructive men. And that is because uh, my mother in her past has, of course, gone towards uh, men who are dysfunctional. Her first husband was a heroin addict and her second husband, my father, is not that. But he has a lot of just emotional issues and quite a temper. And he's not a very just aware of how his words and actions have consequences. Um, we also discussed how I want some magical, majestical meeting of sorts to like drop out of the sky um, because my dad often reflects on how my parents, despite not really being happily married, were brought together by God. And he tells the same story of their kind of fairy tale meeting that he is really the only character in that fairy tale, to be frank, because that's not really how it happened. And then for him, I know I actually went and I listened to um, your chat with him. And this was when we were kind of on our break. And I was very just proud of the way that uh, he chatted with you. So it was issues about his mother. And uh, you did a really good um, role play with him as his crazy mother. And he kind of held his own. So that was interesting. A lot of it uh, for his part, his conversation with you was more so about his relationship with his mother and not really about his relationship with me and just how um, his tendencies to appease her are not tendencies you want to have as you go about your life. Right. Very good. Very good recap. And um, I think it's going to show up in this conversation as it did in the last one. Uh, are you still 27? Yeah, I'm still 27. <laughs> Hanging on. Yeah. Hanging on. <laughs> All right. So uh, 27 uh, and you are... Um, I'm sorry? Virgin. Still a virgin, still 27, yeah. and uh, I mean, I think sort of like across the room, uh, an attract, you know, a very attractive uh, woman, and and you go to the gym a lot, and so mm -hmm. there is um, there is that aspect which I did sort of mull about since we got the text here, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe we'll sort of talk a little bit about that. Yeah. But tell me a little bit about how long you and James have been apart, and what the dates have been like and, and where, where all of that whole arc has been since we last talked. Certainly. So um, it's very easy to pick out when we kind of took the break. And that was, unfortunately, when the whole COVID thing happened. So this is something I'm working on. It's kind of just a character flaw of mine. When um, things go bad and they just keep going bad and they keep going bad, I shut down. And it's, it's something that I'm very aware of because I don't want people to help me. It's like I resent people trying to help me when I'm struggling. So I was also going through issues with um, my family. That is what I was referring to when I said, oh, I'm still managing people. Um, and they were kind of at the peak of their awfulness. Uh, we discussed how my um, half-brother, he's 40. He has a very serious medical condition, both emotionally and physically, sadly. And he's just kind of 
living at my mom's house and my mom is not um, emotionally fit to be dealing with this because she is not a therapist, uh, nor is she a physical therapist. So she's now tasked with handling these physical issues and psychological issues that she doesn't know how to manage. So then I, of course, am the one who needs to manage her and her inability to manage these things. So that all happened at once. And I was silent for like a few days. And he knew I was having like a really hard time because he knows me so well. Um, and I just overall was not happy like with my living situation. I was flip-flopping on buying a house. I did buy a house, <laughs> so that's good. Um, and so on. And he texted me. He's like, you know, is there a reason that I'm not aware of that you just have been shutting me out? And I just said, I don't have anything else to say. And I really didn't because I couldn't, like I didn't know what he wanted from me and I didn't understand like what he wanted me to be for him or, or do for him as the world is supposedly ending and people are losing their jobs and my family life is falling apart and so on. So I uh, went through the summer and I made the decision to buy the house, you know, all on my own. I didn't even tell my father. I didn't tell anybody. I bought the house by myself. Um, I can afford the house by myself. I'm very fortunate in that way. Um, and I also got a new job, which I did not tell anyone about because I just don't really share things with people. I like to do things on my own. And it's like, I resent being helped when I'm struggling. And I actually recently realized why that is. And of course it goes back to, um, you know, your youth and what you experience as a child. And sadly I have, uh, the cliche daddy issues, quote unquote, except I'm not a stripper and I don't have a tramp stamp. So that's good. Um, anywho, um, and I realized that the only time that like my father was like tender towards me was when I was sick or was when I was crying or when, when the world around me was crashing down. And as I got older and I started to resent him because there's only so much forgiving you can do, um, I would get very hostile towards any sort of kindness that he would show me. And, and there are still those tendencies now. So um, bought the house, and then I kind of just realized um, that all of these men that I was dating, going out on dates with, my sister-in-law convinced me to sign up for like Catholic match or something along those lines. Um, and it occurred to me that I kept trying to be for this man whatever his ideal woman was. And there were elements Sorry, sorry, for the, for the men, like just a man on a date or...? Yeah, like these nice Catholic men. And most of them were very nice. And I kept, like, I, I would say that it's not very difficult to, uh, to read, you know, a man who is on a Catholic site, who fills out a profile, who is looking for a relationship. And I can kind of gauge, okay, well, what aspects of me are too extreme? And, and how, how appropriate would it be for me to mention to this particular gentleman that I'm kind of, I'm not certain about like kids and things of that nature. So I kind of just got tired of dealing with putting on a show and feeling like I can't be myself. And, you know, that's one of the mistakes that people make when they date, period. And I think it's difficult to not do that at first because you don't want to drop like your, your big bomb on the third date, you know, because perhaps it would be more well-received three weeks into the relationship, you know? And I realized that literally every single conversation I had, even if they were good conversations, I just kept thinking about James. And I just kept thinking how, like, I'm trying to recapture, like, that magic, for lack of a better term, that we had, like, when we first met. And I'm trying to 
find someone with whom I click the same, you know, in literally all aspects of life. And I guess, and it sounds so like campy, but I do, um, uh, I feel like I, I reflect a lot through music because I listen, my music is garbage. I have terrible taste in music, but I listen to a lot of music because I lift a lot. I'm always at the gym. And this one song came on and it was, uh, it was a love song and it had a, a religious undertone and it was called Love Me. And one of the verses goes, you know, who will love me for me, not for what I have done or for what I will become, who will love me, you know, for me. And nobody has ever shown me what such love can be. And I'm like, one person did. And I told him I have nothing left to say, which was, you know, kind of a terrible way to end it. Um, so right before I uh, moved into my house, I sent him a text message and I just said, hey, you know, um, I hope you are well and just pleasantries. And I explained to him what was going on um, in my life because we're both teachers and I had just mentioned, oh, there's a job opening here. And he sent me, I honestly thought he would tell me to fuck off, <laughs> to be frank. Um, but he sent me like an equally long message and I was going to respond with another equally long message. But I'm just like, you know what? No. And I called him and we talked for eight and a half hours. And it was that day where I just kind of said to him, you know, this is really dumb. <laughs> if those were my exact. I'm like, like, what are we doing? Like, why aren't we together? And he's kind of just in his very casual, you know, uh, dry, dry way of talking. He's like, well, because you're, you're, you can't make up your mind ever. And you're, you're insane, more or less. And I'm like, well, I'm not insane anymore. And I've kind of just resolved through therapy and through showing myself, really, that I can make good decisions on my own. And I realized that I don't need anyone to take care of me insofar as buying me a house or paying my bills or, or buying me food or, you know, all of those things that I wanted a man to do because that's all my father was really ever able to do. So I always associated masculinity and a partner with it doesn't matter if you're emotionally able to care for your partner, if you're emotionally close, but if you can pay the bills and so on and so forth, like that is what a husband is for. Um, a friendship is, oh, yeah, we're emotionally close and you intimately emotionally, but a husband is, you have children with him and he makes a salary so you don't have to work and you're not poor. And then when I realized that I can do that, I realized that the one thing that I'm really like shitty at taking care of is as I told him, <laughs> my itty bitty prickly little heart. <laughs> and he's um, really the only man who has ever been able to um, fully do that for me. And I love him tremendously. He, if there is such a thing, you know, as the love of someone's life or a soulmate or the one, um, he is that for me. And he is extraordinarily special to me. And I want to, I saw him with his family. Um, and I saw him um, because we were celebrating his birthday. Um, and I saw him like, like receive gifts from, and this sounds so campy, it's so ridiculous, but I saw him like receive gifts from his family. And like, it filled me with so much joy to see him receive love, if that makes sense. And I'm like, golly, like, is this what it feels like to, um, like to truly love someone, to just take a step back and to observe them in a moment of joy and to just feel like so full and they the parents don't know that we're back together his sisters do but i'm sure like 
they pieced together as I whipped out my phone like to take a bunch of pictures of him opening presents. And I just, I adore him. I, my mother was saying, she's, and he's very tall, so, and I'm quite uh, small. I'm quite short. Um, my mother was like, you just hang on him like a tree. I'm like, well, yeah, because I love him. Like, he's my man. And, and I couldn't imagine, you know, anyone else in my life. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, you have to have sex with this man. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, that, that is something else that I need to work through. And he knows, like, I'm very honest uh, with him about just where these, these issues stem from. And he knows about my PG-13 level past, but for someone who wanted their, their first kiss to be like at the wedding, essentially, that's the household I was raised in. I'm like, oh, golly, I've definitely made some mistakes in that area. And as I told him, and as I told you the last time, I did not um, live with the amount of integrity that I had envisioned myself um, living that uh, area of life, that romantic area of life in. And he has. He has not, you know, fooled around as much as I have. And it definitely, it definitely uh, leaves. I do not want to say, um, what, what is that phrase you used? It was like... Um, not like um when when a woman has slept with too many men she is like penis something she's just like numb and it just doesn't matter and oh the thousand like, penis stare yeah thank you the thousand penis stare it is not in any way like that because i've never had you know sex and i've never um done lots of things <laughs> but i'm almost like i almost feel as if like it's the pg13 level of the thousand penis stare like i've just fucked around with so many guys who I had no real care for emotionally, which was not good on my part. That was a bad thing to do for many reasons because you're you're just disregarding someone's autonomy and you're treating them like an object, and that's very bad. Um, but I'm just like I never associated like physical intimacy with with romance, if that makes sense. So, like. It's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and, and I struggle a lot with, and I, I told my dad this, and my dad's a donut, so like, why would I tell him this? But he, a donut? Like I said, he's a, it's, oh, it's like, uh, it's my word for like a fool. Like, oh, you're such a donut. Like, oh, you're such a silly person. Um, my sister called me that one day when we were on vacation and I was in a bad mood and we were on vacation and she called me a stupid donut because we were on vacation and I was upset. So that's where, why I use that because um, it reminds me of my sister. Anywho, donut means an idiot. So yeah, and I, and I told him, I just feel like a strange like disconnection from like as a woman, like what is my body for? Like I, I just, I, I don't, it's so strange to describe. Like I don't understand like how I'm supposed to feel with someone like engaging intimately with with my body and I guess this also has to do with the fact that you know my sport is bodybuilding so so people you know make comments about my body all the time and it's in an appropriate context because you know we're all bodybuilders and we're looking at each other's gains and each other's flared lats and all you know so I feel like it also comes from that too, that my body is just kind of a thing that people comment on that is there, like to just kind of be looked at. Um, and 
and and that's it, I guess. Like it's just kind of there. And I I feel like knowing me emotionally is something more intimate than knowing me physically. So it's it's almost like why do you need to know that part of me too? Because now like you know all of me. And there there isn't anything that All right. So is I I think we've had a pretty good run of you. Yeah. And I'm going to have to jump in here because Yeah, jump in whenever. Oh no, I know. I'm I'm just waiting for a mo- I was sort of sitting there waiting for, you know. Oh, yeah. I was like waiting for you. No, no, no. See, that that's not how conversation works. You don't just keep talking and then say to someone, well, oh, you weren't interrupting me, <laughs> right? So, yeah, no, no, because it's interesting. It's interesting to me. So, it's my thoughts. No, 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 no offense. No, I'm not mad or anything. Just, just, I'm just, you want to be frank, right? Which is, oh, no, please. So, you talk about feeling kind of dissociated, right? And then yeah. you give me this tsunami of kind of emotionally disconnected language. Which is yeah. kind of like you're trying to drive me out of my own body as well. In, In other words, your dissociation was spreading to me through the wall of language. Okay. And that's really cool. I mean, that's, that's a real plus. I'm very glad you did that. I am, whether consciously or not. I'm very, very glad that you did that. Because, okay. Because now we need to go back to this, right? So you wanted to have the call. Now, yeah. the call is valuable insofar as we both talk, right? Mm-hmm. And you had like 20, 25 minutes of a monologue, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, when you, I, I want to know what your emotional, and again, it's not a criticism, it's nothing negative, right? But mm-hmm. what was your emotional experience of the monologue, of, of what was, you were saying? I was just feeling like, just, just get it, just, just talk about it, just... Just very anxious about it. Okay, anxious. Okay, good. Because yeah. that came through. And, and that okay. came through because there was like, it, it was almost like you were one of these, have you ever seen these really cool jazz trumpet players? They can keep a note going because they're mm-hmm. kind of inhaling through their nose at the same time as they're blowing out. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting like, okay, a breath, uh, a pause, <laughs> a what do you think? Or you know what I mean? But so, but yeah. the wall, the wall of text to me, uh, oh, sorry, the wall of language, along with some of the, I won't say emotionally inappropriate, but a sort of giggliness that was not particularly connected to the content of the speech. Mm -hmm. And there's a great rapidity in all of this. Now, what's really fascinating to me, well, I mean, listen, it's a great conversation. I really, I really, really think this is great so far. What's really interesting to me is the speed at which you process and the speed at which you talk, mm-hmm. I think is part of the out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you slow the F down, like speed is not connecting to people, right? If you, if you, if you go very rapidly, you can't connect mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. And if you provide the emotional commentary for your own language, you can't connect to people. Because part of my thought, just a thought, not a judgment, was, am I necessary in this conversation at all? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Okay. And yeah, I think that the reproduction of your dissociation or your anxiety 
is really important. Because if, if you want the connection, right? You want the connection. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not tough for an attractive young woman to get the sexual connection, of course, but you want the emotional connection. And when you were saying that you were on these dates with these men and you were tired of putting on the show, do you, do you know what mm -hmm. my first thought was? What? Are you putting on a show now? Oh, no. That's a good thought. Right? Because if, if uh, you know, I'm, on, I'm having these conversations with guys and I'm, I'm putting on a show. And that was my first, okay, is there a show going on at the moment? And by that, I don't mean that you're being fake. I don't mean oh. that you're trying to manipulate, nothing like that. But the speed of the information, I, I sort of tell you what, what it's like. The speed of the information that you pass along gives no time for anyone to process. Okay. Now, it also, and most importantly, gives you no time to process. Like just about every sentence that you had could have been half hour of back mm -hmm. and forth. Mm -hmm. And the more that you... I mean, I don't know, you, you probably know a little bit about electricity, right? So you've got these, mm -hmm. these fuses, right? And the fuses are designed that if there's an overload of electricity, that it cuts the connection, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, I guess, the concern with the wall of language mm -hmm. is that by overloading what people can process and jumping from one topic to another and providing your own emotional commentary with some laughs and some this and that and the other, listen, it's really charming. Right, because it's it seems mm -hmm. it seems very frank and very open and very honest and so on, but because it's so fast and so rapid and so lengthy, it ends up, I think, with people. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking when you said about this eight and a half hour conversation. <laughs> I was thinking about okay, at this rate, how much did James say? Oh, he talks a lot. Okay, good, good. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was both of us. I think, and and I, I'm not interrupting. I'm just at No, no, listen. We, we're think, supposed to, I, I, I don't want to go from your monologue to my monologue. Let's have a oh, conversation. Yeah. No, no. I think, like, what my mindset was that, like, so much happened, and I just wanted you to see, like, the whole picture, if that makes sense. Um, because a lot really did change. And even when I was sharing with my sister-in-law and my sister and my brother, they're like, so my mentality behind just giving you the whole version uh, at, at super speed was because I kind of wanted you to just hear all of it at once, even though it's a lot. Right. And of course, the important thing is to check in with people, especially when you're giving them a lot of information. You've probably heard this mm -hmm. a million times on the show where I pause and say, does this make sense? Does it fit with your experience? Does mm -hmm. this uh, work for you? Or does this match what, what, you, what, what you've known or anything like that, right? Because mm -hmm. it's uh, monologues, I mean, they can be very powerful. And yet you, your issue is not with honesty. Your issue is not with speaking. Your issue is mm -hmm. with connecting, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if you pause and ask someone if what you're saying makes sense, which you kind of know you should do, right? I mean, certainly mm -hmm. I've done it, right? If you think about pausing and checking in with the other person in the middle of a conversation, what emotion comes up for you 
about that? Um, usually I want them to kind of be engaged with what I'm saying. I want them to be interested with what I'm saying. Okay, let me let me try this question again. Of course, we all want people to be interested in what we're saying. Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, too, the other thing, too, being interested in what you're saying, that's part of the show issue, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I want you to be interested in what I'm saying, but I don't want to change what I'm saying in order to interest you. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I... let's go back. So you're in um, – if I had – uh, uh, or, or you could say, like, when I interrupted you, I sort of gave you feedback because I didn't, I wasn't sure um, how much longer we were going to go on for. I think, I think you were sort of nearing, <laughs> nearing the end, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, I was nearing the end. <laughs> um, if you think about, you know, saying, you know, like a minute or two of, you know, pretty dense psychological and self knowledge information, and then pausing and saying, does that make sense, or does it? Mm-hmm. Like, if you pause for that and ask the other person in, what's your concern? Is it that you won't get to continue or that it's going to go off on a tangent or you're going to lose your connection with what you're saying? Like there's something that is negative for you in getting that back and forth going. Oh, I understand. Um, I would say there is a feeling of like anxiety that there's going to be something important that I want to share and like I won't get to to hear their thoughts on it or I won't get to, to tell them this. It's like an anxiety associated with losing what I want to say. Okay, so if you check in with the other person, they're gonna, you're gonna lose the thread of what it is that you're saying. Yeah, right. and then I think I'm also afraid that, that is an they... absolute and total miscomprehension about conversation. Okay. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying say? so, because what you're saying is, what you're saying is, I have a wall of information I need to get across to you, mm-hmm. and you need to sit, take notes if you have to. Um, <laughs> Or whatever, right? <laughs> you need to sit until I'm done. Yeah, I see. But a wall of language is not a connection. It is not a conversation. What is a conversation is the back and forth. Mm-hmm. So if you have an agenda, then you're given a speech. And see, the funny thing is, too, like even if you're given a speech... You know, like I used to go and give these like hour or two hour mm-hmm. speeches sometimes, right? Back when we could travel and it wasn't so dangerous. And I'm always yeah. in a dance with the audience. I'm always watching the audience. I'm always pausing. I'm checking in with the audience. Make a joke. See if they laugh. Make a pause. Mm-hmm. See if they're leaning in. Like there's always, even when I'm just up there and it's an hour or an hour and a half or even longer, it's, mm-hmm. it is a back and forth. Because that's the only, the only reason that I would be there in person rather than on the screen is the back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. And so you think that the conversation is about you getting across a volume's worth of information to the other person, right? And then in the conversation part- can kind of start when you're done? In this particular instance, because so much changed and I wanted you to see like the full picture of what I was experiencing. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's impossible for me or for anyone (laughs) to to keep track of and process the the whole picture. Because Mm -hmm. literally, I mean, you'll hear this. And again, it's not a single shred of criticism at all. But Mm -hmm. when you listen back to it, you'll say, oh, my gosh, I probably gave him 50 or 60 things that we could talk about. 
So if you have a lot of information to get across to someone, let's say you have 20 major points, you give a point, you check in. You give a point, you check in, right? Mm -hmm. But if you give all 20 points or 50 points or whatever <laughs> it is, then you've lost a lot for, for, for a couple of reasons. One is that there's a lot of stuff way back in the, in the monologue. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that the person is kind of disassociating because the way that you have a conversation going is when someone's right in the conversation. Now, mm -hmm. if, as I was, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, I do have an audience. I'm not sure that they're going <laughs> to go with half an hour of this stuff. And I wonder if I'm supposed to interrupt this. You're almost done. Like I'm starting to think about the conversation rather than just listening to the conversation, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. And I do that as well. Like that certainly has happened to me when someone's just kind of going on and on and on and you lose the point of what you were talking about um, to begin with. So. Right. So, I mean, this is the beautiful thing about what you did. And I, I mean this in an in a, in incredibly positive and very warm way. It's a beautiful thing that you did because <laughs> you're saying I'm having trouble connecting with people and the way that yeah. you're communicating it is completely and totally modeling That's Thing. The issue. So you, you couldn't yeah. be more clear, if, you know, oh, if, if you tried. <laughs> well, that's that's really helpful. And I guess it really is. It like really I is. do talk a lot. You know, I talk for a living as well. And I James and I talk all the time and he is a lecturer as well. So I can talk. So I can understand how that can be used as like a defense mechanism <laughs> um, as well. And and you can kind of get inside my head based on the manner in which I'm speaking. No, I can't get inside your head. It's like swimming up a waterfall. That's the oh, challenge. <laughs> no, seriously. Have, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you're swimming and there's a yeah. riptide or something and you're like not making, like you're just swimming against the current? Yeah. Right. So this wall of text, it's like an afterburner from a jet engine. It's like you can mm -hmm. walk towards it, but your face is going to melt. <laughs> Sorry, I that's a bit of a strong it. way to put it, but but you know what I mean, right? That's really interesting to me that that is what occurred because it was just in my head to, you know, I was excited and, and I had discovered just the, the person that I really love and, and I sincerely want to address this issue that is quite deep-seated as I expressed in my email, but I presented, you know, the issue in a manner that you can't even, you can't even address because you can't connect with it yourself. Well, here's the funny thing. We are addressing it, but not based upon the content of what you said, but based upon the form of what you said. I see. Right? So okay. it's your unconscious saying, hey, man, I got a great plan. Let's give this guy the wall of text. I bet you he'll figure it out. My subconscious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. I literally never thought of that. And I understand now, um, just after you explaining to me what your experience was from that, um, why why you experienced you know my excitement and my just really quick seemingly abridged um explanation of what was going on in my life that's wow and and, and i i appreciate all the information that you provided and i'm i didn't ignore the content and i remember the content and all of that oh. but but talking about the form of it this stuff generally arises sarah when you grow up in an environment where two people can't be in the same conversation at the same time uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this. Uh, it, it's kind of, it was on Full House, I think, years ago. Like, there's a talking stick, right? Mm -hmm. whoever, whoever has the talking stick, they can speak. And if you don't have the talking spit, by gosh, you can't speak, right? Mm -hmm. 
And it's kind of like that in a lot of families. It's actually kind of like that in a lot of relationships. Not your nice, but it's kind of in a lot of relationships. Where, where the talking stick is actually existence. It's identity. It's, it's are you there? Mm-hmm. And if you're in a situation where you can talk or the other person can talk, but you can't quite mesh or merge, that would be my guess about what it was like for you growing up if that makes sense. Yeah, that's actually right on the nose. Um, and actually, um, my boyfriend saw my parents engage together, like for the first time. And he more or less described it as, he said, first of all, you're accurate. Like you explained it very well. This is literally what you've been telling me for years is what I saw. But there's a lot of like talking but there's not a lot of really consideration of how the other person is responding to what you say. Um, there's not a lot of consideration of do does your body language display that you even like me? <laughs> because I've often expressed that, sure, my parents love each other and they have a sense of devotion, I suppose. But do they, quote, like each other? Like, do they enjoy each other's company? Do they take the the uh, the feelings that the other one has into consideration when they talk. No, they don't. It's just kind of words. <laughs> right. Right. Or, you know, not, not, this is you, but there's that old cliche of a, of a guy on a date, but enough about me. Why don't you tell me what you think of me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and I'm not putting you in that category, but that's kind of the joke, right? So, yeah. and this unfortunately is something that happens enormously with addicts not that i'm putting you in that category but i know mm-hmm. that you grew up with one right um on and off yeah on and off right well i mean that generally yeah. tends to living be... in the house at, at like different times right right i, I was just by the by uh, after i did the last show where the guy was singing elvis and i mentioned uh, don mclean mm-hmm. uh, a listener sent me an article about Don McLean, who I think is past 70 now, and he had a 30-year marriage. His wife wrote him love letters every day, and then she divorced him, I think called the cops on him. He was charged. He pled out because he didn't want the publicity, and now I think she's touring, doing a one-woman show basically called My Husband is an A-Hole or something like that. And oh, oh. Man, it's pretty rough. And this, this poor yeah. guy, you know, when he was growing up, his aunt was an addict, an alcoholic, I think, who would come, you know, crashing and smashing through the house, destroy everything, I assume, steal everything that's not nailed down, as addicts tend Mm -hmm. to do, and then would leave and and try to be independent, would crash out, would come back. And then when he's 15, he says to his dad, hey, I just had a vision that you're going to die in two days. And what happened two days later? His dad died. And then he cried for two years because he thought it was his fault, which means, of course, the parents hadn't told the mom, hadn't uh, talked him through uh, his, his feelings. And he said, like, I've never been happy. I've never been happy. Oh. The other thing he said, which I remember from years ago, I actually saw Don McLean at Ontario Place probably 30 years ago, uh, playing to maybe uh, 30 people. Um, it's a long way from American Pie down to a uh, corner bandstand uh, a hovel in, at Ontario Place. But, you know, the guy soldiered on and, and did it, and it still was better than the terrible James Brown show I saw down there once. But anyway, <laughs> um, so Don McLean... You know, guys, guys never been happy. Guys never been happy. And people say, well, what are the lyrics to American? What does American Pie mean? What does it mean? He says, it means I never have to work again. But um, so that sort of experience of living with an addict, I was just talking about this with my daughter, that like addicts are just like 
wildfire through people's houses. Yeah. You know, no, like it's, you can't think of anything else. You can't relax. You can't be yourself. You can't have anything natural because the addict is always angling for something. They're, it, yeah. it's, it's never like, it's what uh, Diana West says about the communists. Like the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution, always the revolution. I was reading about how Hugh Grant is in some new movie with Nicole Kidman about a guy who murders his wife. And, and you just see this all the time, all the time, all the time. It's all these white characters, right? And it's always yeah. like the man is, he seems nice, but he's just a monster. He's got a suit mm -hmm. of invisibility and he stalks his wife. And like, it's just all about programming women to oh, be terrified of men. Film, I'm sorry? You analyze that film, The Invisible Man? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember that. I listened to that. I didn't watch the film because, you know, I listened to what you have to say instead. I'm like, oh, this is a dumb movie. But well, yeah, yeah I mean, but it's 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 ne like you can't just have like I watched. Um, I'm sorry, a bit of a tangent here, but it's kind of related. No, so <laughs> I watched uh, the trial of the Chicago seven, which was uh, written by Aaron Sorkin. And, you know, it's all about we're so anti-war, man. We're so anti-war. Yeah, right. Because the hard left. Communists, Antifa, they're so anti-violence. Just, it's all they are is anti, I mean, come on. All they do is hand out flowers. They never attack people. Nobody ever lives in fear. They never threaten to bomb speakers like myself. Yeah, totally, yeah. Uh, totally peaceful. Of course, the whole anti-war movement was funded by the GRU and the NKVD, like the secret police in Soviet Russia under communism poured a billion dollars plus into the anti-war movement. They spent more money funding the anti-war movement in the 60s in America than they spent propping up the North Vietnamese government during the entire war. The whole thing was just giant communist psyop. And mm -hmm. uh, of course, every, every, every long-haired hippie ding-dong, uh, a donut, as you would say, um, <laughs> yeah. just completely fell for all of this. So n now, you know, the, the trial of the they're just, they're just so anti-war, you see. That, like, but of course, it's got nothing to do with the Vietnam War. They were only anti-war because America was fighting communists. That's all it was. When America's not finding communists, well, it tends to be kind of a different matter as a whole. But um, And so the reason I'm sort of saying that is like once you see this garbage all over the place in the media, nothing is ever about the thing itself. Nothing is yeah. ever about the thing itself. Nobody sits there and says, uh, you know what, let's put a black character in uh, to a show. Let's put a black character in to a show. Okay, let's look at the number one issues that the black people are facing. Okay, well, there's fatherlessness, there's uh, criminality, there's there's uh, a bad education. Like, these are things. But and, and you can't just say, okay, let's put in someone who reflects, you know, average black experience and so on. They can never do that. Mm -hmm. It's always got to be, okay, we're going to make him a genius and a rocket scientist and, you know, and peaceful and respectful and all of these things. And it's like, because it's all about, just defensive can we preempt uh, aggression can we preempt boycotting uh, are people going to burn down our studios nothing is ever about the thing itself anymore it's always 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 about the goal the goal the goal yeah. right and it's the same thing with addicts they're either trying to get money or they're trying to get you to forgive them or they're apologizing or but it's all for some and the only reason they'll apologize is because they want you to give them money in the future like it's always about the addiction it's never ever ever about the thing itself it's always an agenda there's always a purpose and if you grow up like that you can't have a conversation with the addict because all you're talking to is the drug or all you're talking to yeah. is the addiction and so that's yeah. i guess my concern so I'll, I'll shut up that's sort of my my sort of thoughts about this can two people be in the same conversation at the same time yeah, and just um, you're always thinking about the addict, just so to speak. Not 100% exactly what you said, but my um, mother, she, whenever she engaged with my father, she just always thinks, okay, what can I say to make him like not yell at me? Or like, what can I say so he'll leave? 
or something like that. So she's she's never actually just engaging with him for the purpose of, um, you know, having a conversation with your husband. Um, it's always like there's some sort of agenda. Either she wants something from him um, before he retired. It was always like his paycheck. Oh, if I don't do this, you know, I'm not going to get, you know, the paycheck or uh, whatever. Um, and now it's like, oh, if I say this, like maybe he'll just leave. Like he'll leave me alone. So that's really interesting. All right. Now, are you sitting down? Um, I am pacing. Okay, that's totally fine. Just have a place you can sit because I'm just about to blow your mind. Okay. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so your addiction is to being uncertain and no one can talk to you without first referencing and focusing on that. My, uh, my addiction is uncertainty. To being uncertain. To being, un okay. Explain because I've never heard it put in that way. But when you said it, I was like, that's it. That's it? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so James said to you when you said, well, it's so crazy, we're not together. What did he say? <laughs> he said, because... <laughs> because you can't make up your mind. And I said, because I'm insane. He's like, well, yeah. And then I said, well, I'm not insane anymore. Yeah, I said, because you can't make up your mind for, for anything. And this has always been the problem, even... The last time um, that we tried to date, you know, and I went back and I said the same thing, like, why is this so hard? And, and he wasn't mean, you know, just like you were not mean. You told me the truth, but you observed. He does that as well. Um, and he said, well, because you can't be consistent for two weeks, my dear. Like, that's why we're not together. Right. So it's, you. So, it's, it's your inability to be consistent. So if your addiction, and Obviously, this is not a clinical diagnosis of any yeah, kind, right? But, but if your addiction is to, is to being uncertain, it's not an addiction to uncertainty. It's an addiction to being uncertain. Mm -hmm. Then everyone who deals with you has to deal with that flightiness that stands between you and connection. Uh-huh. That's really interesting that you said flighty because my um, older sister, she describes one of her flaws. I don't think it's as major as mine. <laughs> But um, she describes one of her flaws that she's working on as flightiness, is just feeling this sense of anxiety and, of, and uncertainty about things that are 100% certain. You know, like she's a mom. She's been married more or less happily. I think she would say happily for the most part for many years. She has two kids. She has two successful businesses. But there's still just, oh, and my mother is like that as well. I actually told uh, my boyfriend that my mother literally for as long as I can remember, would say that she just experiences this sense of drudgery about everything. And she's just always, oh, you know, that sound effect, oh, about everything. She's always worried about everything all the time. Go back to that sound effect, because you did it in oh. a kind of merry way. I needed to I need to get it from your mom's perspective. What, what does it sound like, for real? It sounds like, okay, so um, let me be my mom. Um, da, da, da. Oh, like that. That's how she feels about life. Just life is drudgery, and all I want to do is just go to sleep, and I just don't want to be bothered, and oh, like that is what I grew up hearing. That okay, life is this is your mother, right? This is my mother, yeah, and she still says the same thing. Okay, so let's let's get into that. That's because I think yeah. that's that's important, right? Oh, certainly, yeah. I I see, and I'm sure you'll see more obviously. Uh, rather, I'm sorry. Um, the less obvious connections that I see, um, to myself and my mother, and just this addiction to uncertainty. 
So what does she, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get that because it's not, I don't quite get the drudgery is like, oh, you know, just that kind of heavy beast of burden yeah. shit that, that people have. Yeah. Well, I would describe my mother um, as everything she does um, for the people that, you know, she loves, um, she does it out of just, I don't really want to do this, but like I have to do this and, oh, I just... I just want the day to be over and and then I can just go to sleep and you know I just I just don't want to deal with your father and if I don't do this then I'm afraid that like he won't give me the paycheck and if he finds out that you know the bills are this high then he's he's going to threaten to take away the money from me again and that's that's kind of just her her mentality when approaching all life everything is burdensome to her everything is a cause for alarm. So I'm trying to think um, of the most recent one. Ah, I remember. <laughs> so I moved away from uh, the area. I'm about an hour away from her. But my favorite Thai restaurant <laughs> is um, 45 minutes away from me. So she did me a favor. She picked up something from the pharmacy for me. So I did not have to go down and get it. But I still wanted Thai food that day. So I went down, you know, and I got it. It was a 45-minute drive. The weather wasn't great, um, but I went down and I got the Thai food. So the next day I visit her, and she says, oh, I got you uh, this thing from the pharmacy. Uh, you know, weren't you happy you didn't have to come down the mountain and get it? And I said, oh, you know, thank you. I'm glad I didn't have to, you know, stop at the pharmacy because lines are annoying. But I actually just went down because I want a Thai food. And she went ballistic. <laughs> like, I looked at her and I said, no, 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 no. You see, you yelling at me an adult, you know, with a house and whatnot, it is more detrimental to me than the action of driving 45 minutes in vaguely foggy weather. And I told her, do you see how literally, like everything is a problem all the time? And she just, you know, got mad at me, so she stopped talking. <laughs> but I, I see so, that a lot. So hang on. So she, she had an issue because she thought she was doing you a big favor by yeah. bringing you something which was someplace you had just been. Um, no, no, I, I'm not going to explain this well. She said that she would pick up something from the pharmacy for me, um, which was near the Thai restaurant. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I picked, you know, this up for you so you didn't have to go down. That's just what I said. Yesterday. She brought you something from someplace you just went to. So her favor was kind of <laughs> unnecessary because you could have as easily picked up something from the pharmacy, yeah, which more, is next door to the Thai restaurant, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So you did explain it very well. You were just re-explaining oh, okay. it even better. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. And she just got so agitated for like literally no reason. And, and... No, no, no. Hang on. Hang on. No, no. <laughs> no it's no, not okay. literally no reason. A silly reason. Well, let's let's back off from that a sec. You could be right. Oh. You could absolutely be right. But I can see why she'd be a little... I'm not saying the yelling or anything, but I can see why it'd be a little annoying. Like if, if she, okay. she says, I'm going to go get something for you. And she goes and gets it for you. And it turns out that you were right there anyway. Yeah. I can see... Um, why that would be, I suppose. No, because if, if you'd have said, because I guess she had to drive it to you, right? No, I, she was picking it up for me because I was going to visit her that, like, the next day. So she's like, oh, I'll just, I'll have it for you. And I just said, okay, it was fine. 
But I'm confused as to why you wouldn't think that might even be remotely annoying. I mean, I can see it being a little annoying. Like if I go and say, oh, I'm going to drive 45 minutes to go pick some, something up and someone says, oh, that'd be great, right? And then they say, oh, yeah, I was right there yesterday as well. I'd be like, what the? Not even so much that it was kind of a waste, but also because there's no sense of like, okay, here's a, here's a funny thing, mom. <laughs> here's a funny thing. You went to go and get this stuff for me from a 45-minute drive away. I'll tell you, I ended up three doors down that very night because I had this crazy yearning for Thai food. No, now, no, it's 45 minutes from me. It's not 45 minutes from her. She was trying to save me the 45-minute drive. Which she didn't do. No, she didn't do because, you know, I had planned to get Thai food that day anyway. Um, so I was like, okay, well, thank you. You know, I don't need to wait at the pharmacy line. Um, so that was it. It was not like... It was not out of the way for her. Um, it is out of the way. It was out of the way for me because it's forty-five minutes away from me. It no, was but, not but, for. But it didn't turn out to be out of the way for you because you went there anyway. Yeah, because I went there to get it anyway. Yeah, to get Thai food. Okay, so were you aware when you went to go and get it that this was making your mom's kindness kind of pointless? Um, was I aware? Um, well, no, because she just kind of picked it up voluntarily. Well, no, but the only value that you had saying, well, at least I don't have to to sit with a lineup in the pharmacy, right? Mm-hmm. So if the only, way, the only reason it becomes positive for you is if there's some kind of negative for your mom, right? Like got to wait in a pharmacy, right? I'm sorry. So the only reason it is positive for me is because I didn't have to wait in the pharmacy line. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, because, I mean, if you, let's say, to, for sake of argument, I know this sounds odd, but this is important, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. let's just say for sake of argument, the pharmacy is right next door to the Thai place. Mm-hmm. Okay? And there's a box out front, you lift and get it. Then, then there would be no point in your mom going, right? Mm-hmm. But so she went, and again, it's not bad that you went for Thai food or anything like that. I guess I'm just a bit confused as to why you wouldn't understand that it would be a little bit annoying for your mom that she goes to pick something up from you because she wants to save you a 45-minute drive, and you did the 45-minute mm-hmm. drive anyway. Um, no, I understand that. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I suppose what was um, like annoying for me was she was getting so upset because it was vaguely like foggy outside and that was why she's like you know I don't understand why you would drive down you know in the fog and and why didn't you just stay home so I I took issue um and I got kind of annoyed because she um often when there's any sort of weather that is not sunny she like doesn't want me to leave to go anywhere um so no i do understand uh why there would be just a feeling of well you know this was a waste i understand yeah and i'm so sorry just just draw me the family map between this group and the Mm -hmm. heroin addict um no 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 the um the heroin addict was my mother's ex-husband she married him when he was 35 and she was 18 um there are some other issues with like um, addictions to uh, other sorts of drugs, no, no, you know, serious drugs of that nature, but just alcoholism and things of that nature. So uh, the heroin addict is my mother's ex-husband. Um, and then the individuals who have issues with uh, drugs and um, 
like they're like uh, psychiatric drugs. Um, overdosing on those are her two um, children, so my half siblings. Um, One of and sorry, just remind her. me of that story. Oh sure. Um, which aspect of the story? Uh, the two, two siblings. Just who they are. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, oh. So we all kind of grew up like very close um, in the same house. And then I would say that when um, we got older and we kind of developed, started developing personalities of our own, none of us really meshed with those two too well. Um, so um, the oldest, she is 42. She's on disability. She's never worked a job. She has some sort of um, a mental issue where she, she can't deal with being around people and she just has anxiety with, she always thinks like people are staring at her or something. And that was an issue for as long as I can remember. Like I remember her talking about this when I was 10, like, oh, I just, I don't want to go here because everyone's looking at me. Um, so she has never, you know, worked. And then this one, um, I have brother, so her other child, um, he is 40. Unfortunately, he um, is not married and, <coughs> excuse me, he has some sort of inflammation in his joints, very similar to like multiple sclerosis, mm. uh, where sometimes the nerves function okay and sometimes they don't function at all and you never know. So he's truly dealing with that. But again, as long as I can remember, he has always had some sort of just psychiatric issue. Um, and my mother was explaining to me how he had like, like just some emotional breakdown at the kitchen table like a couple weeks ago when I was over there visiting and very, very sad. Um, and I said, well, you know, like, what is the reason that he's still seeing this psychiatrist and taking this cocktail of drugs for 12 years and, and it's clearly not working, you know? And she's like, oh, well, he's always been this way. So that issue has just kind of been like brushed off so that's them uh he's currently on disability and living there and it's really it's very very depressing it's actually quite difficult like for me um to be around because the best way I can describe it is like I'm just very sensitive to that having you know struggled with similar things of my own so it's really challenging it's a very sad situation so she's very concerned for your safety in particular because you're the functional one right oh i never thought of that <laughs> yeah i'm the functional one who's near them yeah okay that makes i mean sense. she doesn't have to worry about them driving in the fog right yeah that's <laughs> you know, go true. out of the house yeah that's true that's true i literally i never thought of that the other ones they're obviously very functional but they're not a drive away yeah and i am the one who just kind of got elected to manage everyone who's left because I'm the closest. Okay, yeah. Well, you didn't I, get elected because you didn't run for the office, right? No. <laughs> you got appointed. Yeah, I'm saying elected kind of sarcastically. It's you like, got oh, drafted. Yeah. You got drafted, all right. Yeah. Draft okay, so like let's go back to uncertainty, indecisiveness. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you know what indecisiveness gives a woman what 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 benefit does she get from it um i'll tell you what it gives me i feel like it gives me a way out yeah that's very nice but that's not it oh no <laughs> you're such okay. a nice young lady you really um, are it's great but no that's not <laughs> it that's that's far too nice um yeah, that's the way 
I think. I'm like, okay, if I just if I just act like I can't make up my mind, then that's a way out. And then I no, no, I get that. I get that. It's true that it gives you a way out. Yeah. But um, what does it give you in the relationship dynamic? Oh, I guess like it gives you all the power. It gives you all the power. Yeah, who you who is a good man, you know, who you who you really like and who really likes you, then you can just kind of you can experiment and see, well, how long can I string him along along for? Well, the man wants you in a pretty straightforward way, and you're like a maze. And so you get the power. Yeah. And power is addictive. Yeah. Absolutely. And why do you want this power because you feel powerless yeah yeah that's wow that's like amazing that that's amazing now when you want power through uncertainty it actually does make you powerless yeah because your only power comes from indecisiveness which weakens you okay so what is it like for you to be in a relationship where you don't have any power. Yeah. Because this is, this is the stuff I've been screaming at for the world for like 15 years straight. <laughs> oh Be oh in relationships where you don't have any power. Listen, let's talk you and I. Let's talk Sarah and Steph. All right. Yeah. In this conversation, do I have any power with you? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess I maybe I have a little bit of authority. Like maybe I can provide something. But I don't have any power. You mean like, but you can literally like hang up on me. <laughs> That's kind of what I mean. Like, you Sorry, did you say I can literally hang up on you? Yeah, like you, you can end the conversation. You know, you can just be like, okay, well. And you did that once. I remember with some Christian guy a while back. Do you feel that that is going to happen? I mean, what was it? I talked with you and James like three and a half hours. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, do, do you really oh, feel no, that no, that's no, hanging no, over you no, like no, this no, sort no, of Damocles? No, 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 no. Okay, so I'm, I'm in for the conversation, right? Because yeah. when I wasn't in the conversation a little bit earlier during the first 25-minute mm-hmm. monologue, I said, I don't feel like I'm in the conversation, right? I didn't just sort of say, ah, I'm tired of listening, click, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm not going to hang up on you. I, I, you know, I guess theoretically it could happen if a meteor hits the house or whatever, right? But, but that's not going to happen. Have I said anything mean to you? Have I put you down? Or have I consistently said, I'm not criti- it's not criticism, I'm not upset, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I don't have any power with you. Mm-hmm. When it comes to um, my wife, I don't have any power with her. I don't bully mm-hmm. her. I don't withhold. I don't like any of them. We just talk, right? With my yeah. daughter, I don't have any power. And I specifically reject power in my relationships. You've heard me say mm-hmm. a million times that I make the same mistakes I've probably made more mistakes than a lot of my listeners in many ways. I'm not an authority. I never tell people what to do, Mm -hmm. right? So I am continually, conspicuously, repetitively, redundantly (laughs) rejecting power in these relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Now, if you are addicted to uncertainty, then you gain a huge amount of power, but power always comes at a price, right? You know the old story that the devil comes and says, I'll give you whatever, X, Y, and Z. You can write beautiful songs, Billie Eilish or whatever, but you've got to make them totally evil, right? (laughs) Or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. You can get 
power, but it comes at the expense of your soul, right? Yeah. Okay, so addiction is the drive for power that arises out of helplessness. So think of the addict, right? I mean, you heroin mm -hmm. addict, whatever, right? The heroin addict has to bully, manipulate, control other people. There's a reason that addicts are known as emotional terrorists, right? Now, the yeah. reason that they try to bully and dominate and have power over others is why? Because they are uh, a slave to this drug and That's they're right. powerless. But yeah, oh my goodness. That is so fascinating. Because there are thoughts that I have um, that kind of line up with that. And oftentimes when um, I just feel like I want to run away from a decision and I just want to be left alone, you know, the way that my mother has always wanted to be left alone her whole life. Um, the thing that I retreat to is bodybuilding because it's the only thing that I feel extremely capable at and um, extremely powerful in and it's the only thing that I just feel like I can obsess enough over it and focus enough on it that all of the other things that I am missing because I can't make up a decision about whether to say yay or nay to them I just I'm distracted I'm too distracted to be concerned with them there for, is that aspect yeah. to it. there is that aspect to it, but I'm sure that you're very aware that in the gym world, a female bodybuilder yeah. is extraordinarily high status, right? Yeah, now, that's true. Now, so it is something time. else that also gives you power, in that it raises demand for you in the sexual market value place, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, because sir. then you have guys who want you, you can play. Queen Sarah, right? <laughs> and you can yeah. pick and choose, right? And you can say yes, yeah. no, and yes, no, and all of that. And you have men wanting you rather yeah. than having you. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. And so to surrender like, your power is to say the eternal yes or the eternal yeah. no. See, a woman, like, you know, the friend zone thing. And I'm not accusing you of sticking guys in the mm -hmm. friend zone, but everybody mm -hmm. knows the friend zone thing, which is, that the woman is keeping you around. She's dropping a couple of signals, this, that, or the other, right? And, mm -hmm. but she's not saying, of course, if a man is attracted to a woman and the woman doesn't want to go out with the man. And uh, I had a pretty actually hilarious conversation with my daughter the other day about <laughs> chemistry. <laughs> you know, because what do women yeah, say? Perfect. There's no yeah. chemistry. It's like, this is not, <laughs> this is not a, there a, is a, 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 not a science experiment, people. Yeah. <laughs> what does chemistry yeah. matter? No chemistry. There anyway, so now whenever a woman, if you're watching a show or something and some woman is like uh, hesitant or it's like she, my, my daughter will just uh -huh. mock her like, yeah, no chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like women have no free will. It's just it's chemical reagents yeah. that uh, drag <laughs> their um, reproductive <laughs> organs one way or another, right? No, it's true. That's a really good way to say it. And like you asked the young lady who was speaking to you, do you often use the phrase, we have no chemistry? And oh, yeah. Like, yeah. The moment you hear no, like, uh, no yeah. chemistry or uh, there's just no chemistry, what she's saying yeah. is that you're not dysfunctional enough for her. Uh, and no, it's, it's really, so it's really sad. It, it is. Yeah. So, so the friend zone is when, so uh, if, the, if the man's attracted to the woman, the woman's not attracted to the man. 
or is not willing to consider it, right? Because attraction mm -hmm. is mental as well as just chemistry, right? So <laughs> yeah. she has to she has to kick him out of her life completely because she's wasting his time and she's keeping him around as a beta orbiter to feed her own ego. And mm -hmm. uh, it's really, really selfish and destructive to the other person. Mm -hmm. To be fair, I say the same thing to men who are dating women in their late 20s, early 30s, saying, look, if you're not interested in having kids and she wants kids, for God's sakes, man, cut her loose. It's brutal, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're killing her, you know, unborn babies in, in the crib, so to speak, right? Yeah, that happened to one of the my friends that I know. She was dating this guy. Uh, she was 22. He was 42. <laughs> she is now uh, 27. He is 47. They were going to get married, and he broke up with her. And I'm like, oh. I, yeah, you know, well, I, you know, I can't exactly give her a complete free pass of victimhood on that yeah, one because he know. was double her I age, I right? You know, yeah. So... You are raising your sexual market value through the working out. And again, I'm not trying to discourage you from working out. I, I work out, though, obviously not to your level. But um, so that, that's good. It's healthy. And I, I don't want to say, like, this is some, something bad. But mm -hmm. to be in the position of choosing, of accepting or rejecting men, mm -hmm. gives you a great deal of power and a great deal of helplessness at the same time. Because, because yeah, you're addicted to not deciding, deciding... Yeah is going to undo your personality as you know it. <laughs> that's, that's like, I feel that way. That's so fascinating. I guess, you know, at 3 a.m. when you're tossing and turning and you think about these things, I distinctly remember thinking like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm a young lady. I'm very well received by men and I'm successful, um, especially for my age nowadays with how difficult it is to get ahead and not be in debt and so on. And I still just feel like everything is doom, like everything is crashing down on me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. And I even told James this, like when we first um, started, you know, um, officially <laughs> dating. And he's just like, but there's nothing that that is doom. There's nothing that's wrong. There's nothing that you need to change. There's nothing that well, is. Well, that's God love James. And I like him enormously. But he's absolutely wrong about that. Because if you think something's doomed, it kind of is, right? Right. So um, him saying nothing's like you saying everything. He, things are doomed. And he's I, like, no, they're not. It's like, well, that's. That's not true because you think they are, right? So yeah, no, 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 I understand. What you mean. I can't possibly yeah, yeah, exercise. I, I'm never ever going to be able to eat well, and I can't possibly exercise. It's like, sure you can. It's like, yeah, but if I believe that, I'm going to get fat and flaccid, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So he's and he's trying to just, just talk you out of something that's foundational to not you, right? This this addictive behavior. So what is addictive yeah. behavior as a whole? It is repetitive behavior mm -hmm. that does significant harm to your life or your prospects, yeah. right? And this addiction to doom, uncertainty. No, no, no. The doom results from the addiction to uncertainty. Like the doom doesn't result from the addiction, to, from, from the addiction, um, sorry, the doom results from the addiction to heroin, right? And the okay. doom results from the addiction to uncertainty, to okay. being uncertain, right? So uh -huh. who are you? And this is a foundational question for men and for women, though a little bit more from women, right? Yeah. So, Sarah, who are you if you're not being wanted? That is like I've literally thought about this, and that's so fascinating. You're always on point. Well, thank <laughs> um, you. You're welcome. When um, you had said, oh, you know, being a female bodybuilder, it's obviously a very high sexual market value. And I kind of snuck in there. I'm like, yeah, but obviously, like, I know 
for the for the time being like I know when I am in my mid 30s and 40 I, I still intend to be fit and work out because I love it and so on and so forth and I like the way it makes me feel I like the way it makes me look but like I thought about this like I feel so whole doing this and I feel so whole um prepping for these physique shows but you know how like you've obviously seen the movie Forrest Gump right yes yeah and when he's running and he has like the entire world watching him and then he just stops because he's like well I don't want to run anymore and I've often thought about that well who am I going to be if I'm not like the buff bodybuilder bitch I'm sorry if it's not a matter of if, my it's, friend. It's when. It's when. <laughs> it's when. I mean, I guess I could, like, extend it with um, uh, PEDs and, and whatnot, but I'm not about that. And, and I guess I could distract myself enough, you know, with this endeavor to go pro. But, like, I'm not a moron. Like, I know that. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Time marches forward. Yeah, Look, like a lot of aura. <laughs> have you? I, I, I'm going to put this out to the listeners uh, on the chat. Kelly Ann Conway's daughter is her name Trish, or maybe you know this, Sarah. Or... I didn't know had a daughter. Sorry, I had no idea. No, what about her? Okay, so Kelly Ann Conway is married to some never Trumper lunatic. Yeah. Who's I think kind of obese and all of that, and it's and he, he started that Lincoln project. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's okay. completely mental, right? So she is an incredibly <laughs> successful woman. She ran the very first successful. She's the first woman mm-hmm. to run a successful presidential campaign against enormous odds in 2016. Yeah. Claudia, yeah, I think it's Claudia. James is, is king of trivia. <laughs> the fact that he knows this <laughs> tween, I don't know. Anyway, she's a team. Oh, he was saying that actually that he's very good at trivia. I told oh, yeah, no, that. we we play trivia sometimes, and uh, it's uh, it's terrifying. Uh, James is actually the Borg of all human knowledge. He is, in fact, the Internet. There is just a, a shadow Internet that follows him around. But so Kellyanne Conway has – in August, she quit because her daughter's kind of going off the rails, right? I mean, her daughter is uh, out there talking about family issues and, um, mm-hmm. you know, making up stuff uh, about Trump's health and, and all of that. And mm-hmm. she's got – of course, because she's trashing Trump and she's trashing her mom and all of that um, – She's got like a zillion Instagram followers or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And anyway, so the, the reason I'm sort of pointing this out is, you know, Kellyanne Conway, uh, a very a brilliant woman. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's not particularly important for her job, obviously, but she's an attractive woman. Yeah. But if you look at a picture of Kellyanne Conway next to her daughter, Claudia, who's in her mid-teens, I mean, it literally is night and day. She looks like the Crypt Keeper. That, that's fine. So do I. If I, if I, you know, if I had a 15-year-old son, I'd look like the Crypt Keeper too, right? But no, sorry, yeah. James. I didn't indicate that you use the internet. You are the internet. Uh, that's that's just just to be clear on that, right? So so if you look at uh, Claudia Conway, um, mm-hmm. and and this is like uh, she she was. Um, oh yeah, she said something about her mom having a negative. Like going out after a positive COVID test and she got it wrong because her mom had like three tests. And I think the mom was like yelling at the daughter or swearing at the daughter, not knowing that the daughter was live streaming. And like, it's just, it looks oh, like okay. a complete mess. But the dysfunction of yeah. the family is not particularly important. But what is important is you can just go look at a picture of Kellyanne Conway, full sunlight, you know, no, no hiding in this Blanche <laughs> Dubois soft light crap, like full on sunlight. Yeah. Women and men just kind of look 
dusty. That's the only thing that I can say. They just can't, like we we get like this grit in our crevices. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is. I look okay until I'm squinting in the sunlight, and then I look like a cracked mirror of youth, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like so. It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. Yeah. And this addiction to attention, by God, it's insane. Melanie freaking Griffith posed a picture of her in a bikini. She's 63 goddamn years old. <laughs> now, listen, I have no problem. If you want to be a 63-year-old and run around in yeah. a bikini, but for God's sakes, to pose it and to post it. And, to, like, yeah. and, and Brooke Shields, who got her first job as a model when she was 10 months old. Months! 10 months old and then was part of this R selected. I'm not wearing any underwear. Nothing comes between me and my Calvins when I think she was underage. It was really creepy as hell. But she's like, well, I'm in my mid to late 50s and I'm posting all these pictures of myself in my bikini because my daughters are just like, you go for it, mom. You're just, it's wonderful. And I finally feel comfortable in my own body. It's like, oh my God, shut up. Yeah. Put on an apron, bake someone something, have some dignity for God's sakes. For God's sakes. Put some clothes on, you septuagenarian freaks. <laughs> My God, it's like, ah. Oh. There's some movie I saw, I can't remember the name of it now, about some teenage guy who's into this like 80-year-old woman and they go to funerals together. Oh, golly, that's a movie? That sounds like a TLC special. <laughs> oh, it's... um. Uh, Harold and Maud, Harold and Maud. Oh my God, this like popped into my head and it's a creepy, creepy film like you wouldn't you wouldn't believe, right? Um, and again, it's not like, I'm not trying to body shame anyone. In fact, these women look great and all that, but it's yeah. like at what point, at what point do you stop needing mm-hmm. all of this validation and, and approval and envy, because this is what they're doing. Melanie Griffith is not putting her 63-year-old toned body out there because she's just comfortable with her body and proud. No, she's trying to evoke envy. Mm-hmm. Like Elizabeth Hurley, posing pictures. She's in her 50s. Yeah, she looks good. I get that. And that sucks for other women whose job it is not to look that good. Mm-hmm. You know, like Elizabeth yeah. Hurley, sure, she works out for two hours a day. That's her job is to look good. I do a lot of philosophy every day because that's my job. If somebody paid me to have abs, I'd go trail around Adam Kokesh and get some abs. At what point is it enough? And I'm saying all of this, like, obviously, like just over the last year, you know, like in November last year, and also the deep platform already started and all that. Like yeah. it's the show is down, down, down. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm not sitting there going, oh, my God, who am I when I can't get 7000 people on a live stream? Mm-hmm. Who am I when I'm not getting this many views on YouTube and, 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 and Twitter? And who am I? Like, I'm still the same person. Yeah. They can't take that away from me. They can take my audience away from me, but they can't take my identity away from me. They can't take my joy away from me. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, I'm just sort of saying, like, I built this show up over 15 years, and then boom, 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 right? You start talking, or you, you try and oppose the destruction of the black community by bringing out some facts about George Floyd, and boom, you're out of there, baby. Yeah, that it's... And actually, in my uh, my longer email... I had a paragraph where I just expressed, you know, it's ridiculous and and 
even within my family, like they've said things about you that are false and they brought up a website and uh, you actually mentioned this in one of the debunking of yourselves, like videos that you did. And it was when you were talking to someone who was molested as a child and you said that some people are like not human or, or something along no, those no, lines. No, no, I mean, I'll just real briefly on that, right? So uh, I said, uh, I was talking about... It was pedophiles. I'm almost positive. Well, there's, so there's two. There's one about a guy who was, yeah, he was uh, abused when he was growing mm-hmm. up. And I said, it's really, really important to to keep abusers and abusive people away from your children. That the, the entire mm-hmm. breeding arena of the species needs to be cleaned the F up from pedophiles and abusers and, and soul destroyers and addicts. And, mm-hmm. you know, just keep uh, it, it insanely destructive and abusive and molesty people away from your children. And, of course, that was taken completely out of context. And yeah. now I'm into eugenics. <laughs> right? So, yeah, that was yeah. one. No, the other one was um, when I was talking about uh, criminality, uh, cr- crime. And I was talking about uh, the fact that you can view the relationship between criminals and their prey as a predator-prey relationship. It's not a particularly original insight, of course. I mean, they're called sexual predators, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, then, of course, and I said, I don't view human. There's a way of viewing humanity. Like, I don't view humanity as a single species. I said, I know they are a single species, but a way of looking at it with predators and prey, like blah, 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 right? Because predators mm-hmm. and prey usually aren't the same species, like the lion and the zebra aren't the same species. So it was just a, a loosey-goosey analogy for um, uh, predator-prey relationships, criminal uh, victim relationships in human beings. And I very clearly said, I know humanity is a single species. This is just a way of looking at it. And now, of course, I believe that, I don't know, other races are not human. Like, whatever. It just became like just the nonsense that people make up that uh, yeah. anybody who believes the mainstream media, um, you know, <laughs> if Antifa ends up taking over their entire uh, city, it's a little kind of hard to feel sorry for them. Like, that's just, that's the price you pay for believing lies mm-hmm. is you get to lose your liberties. But anyway, so I just, who am I without... A big ass giant audience, right? Who am I without 10, 20 million views a month, right? Well, yeah, I am still who I am. And who am I when donations go down? I am still who I am. Who am I um, when I have a smaller audience? And it's, you know, it's building, it's coming up and so on and bit shooting parlor and other places. Well, I can't let, like, they, they can take the platform, but to let them take my identity is... Mm-hmm. Kind of ridiculous, right? So and the reason I'm saying that is not to make this about me, but it's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. Yeah. And it will happen for women. Like, it literally is like you go to bed and you're 28 and you wake up and you're 36. No, it's true. It's true. And I still, you know, I'm at the age where um, I can either, maybe I'm 30, maybe I'm 22, you know, who knows? Um, but I'm not naive to the fact that in a few years, you know, it's going to be very obvious that I'm not 22 or 25 or 27. Um, and with that... And sorry, especially because you've got your subcutaneous fat down to like a paper thin level, right? Because you're like Miss Low Body Fat, which is great. Oh, at this point, not at this moment, no. But I'm still very like much more lean than the average bear. <laughs> Right, right. And this is something that I think it was Courtney Cox said. It's like, okay, so you get into your 30s, you have a choice. And your choice is this. Your body can look good or your face can look good. But you can't have it both at the same time. Because if your body looks good, then you're very lean, which means your face Mm -hmm. looks wrinkled, right? But if your face looks good, it's because it's a little puffed out, which means you've got a little weight in the hips, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, that's just 
the way it is. And, you know, I do not want you on that one-way ticket to Cougartown, man. That is that is a no, bad place to end up. I don't want myself on that either. And I guess, like, because I can obsess over this, you know, and I can hide from all of the things that I can't decide about or I choose not to decide about or whatever the case may be, um, that's kind of what I always fall back on. But I know that the way I fall back on it it's not going to have the same effect, you know, when I'm no longer 27, 28, 30, and so on. And of course, um, as you age, like you can't do it with the same intensity, which for me, like I lift heavy and I'm very, very intense in the gym. And that will also be something that like saddens me when just your body starts to break down and you can't do that anymore. So oh, I tell I've you this, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I tell you this, so oh, I, no, I, I tried, I, I played a lot of squash when I was younger and I tried picking it up again. You can't do it. I tell you, have you ever been so hungry and you got a, a, a chicken in front of you, you just ripped the leg off? Yeah. Okay, that's squash over 50. Really? Yeah, the, the squash court just reaches up and rips my fucking leg off. Oh, no. That's and, and, and it's not, you know, I've sort of worked back up to it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah. I'm, I sort of went back to tennis and all of that and playing that. And it's not that it's impossible. It's just that. It's when different. you don't do it for a while when you're younger, you just kind of bounce back. But when you don't do it for a while and you're older, it's like, oh, it's chicken leg gripping time. Sorry about that. Yeah. And it, it's true. And, like, I guess the reason why I am indecisive about, you know, the, the major goals of, of normal people, you know, most people want to get married, most people want to have kids. Whether they should is a different story. But that tends to be on, like, most people's, like, bucket list. And I just think, well, you know... By the time I realize that this isn't fulfilling me in the way that I thought it, it would for the rest of my life, it'll be too late. And then the decision made for me and I can't get married because I'm old. Right, right. So, so here's the thing. You either, make up, yeah, you either make up your mind or, or, or life makes it up for you. Yeah. Right. That, that's so you can either say, well, I'm going to wait until something better comes along. I'm going to be super Jennifer Aniston style picky, at which point you end up like, Jennifer Aniston welcomes a new addition to her family. It's a dog. Oh, that's the yeah. saddest yeah, thing. Yeah, like this nonsense, like this dog mom, cat mom thing. I mean, I... Like, You're not a mom. No. 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 You're an animal no. slaver. But anyway, um, it, no. no, and I like pets. I, I like pets, yeah. particularly dogs. But um, yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not... You know, anything that eats you when you die, I really have a <laughs> tough time putting in the category of family. You know, unless you're like John Podesta's uh, uh, aunt or something like that, whoever introduced him to that creepy cannibal art he's got in his office. Anything that eats you when you die, I'm just going to go out on a limb. And that's not family. That's not, you know, there's no family uh, which is like, uh, uh, hey, you're looking uh, looking kind of tired there. And they're kind of gathering around with ketchup and forks. You know, that's just not, (laughs) that's not family. That's just not family. That's just, uh, you know, cannibals. So... Um, yeah, so so it, you either make your mind up, or it's gonna the decision's gonna be yeah. made for you by the passage of time and the sagging of everything that currently is zero gravity in your physique. Yeah, and also like, and this is something I've talked to James about. Anyone who I'm very close to like knows this fear. Like, I am afraid that in becoming here we go back to like the uncertainty in becoming you know a wife. In becoming, you know, a mom, um, which I want 
to do with James. I want to have his children. Do I personally, you know, myself want to raise children? No. Do I want us to raise them? Yes, because I know he'll be a good father and and we'll, you know, have a nice family. And I'm just thinking, well, you know, then I'm not a bodybuilder anymore. <laughs> well, and, you know, here's here's the funny thing. Let me just stop you for a second there. I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt. No, no, you're here's, fine. Here's the funny thing, Sarah. <laughs> You are the greatest fucking bodybuilder in the world. Do you know why? Why? Because <laughs> you're building actual human bodies. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's something he would say. <laughs> you're actually, like, you can work your muscles, but no, no matter how big your fucking biceps are, they're not going <laughs> off to college without you. <laughs> Look at my glutes. Yes, but they're not going to write you letters about how wonderful it is to pick grapes in Queensland. Yeah, and like in just really behaving the way I've always envisioned myself behaving with a significant other, you know, this time with somebody who I emotionally connect to, who I'm not trying to love to fix them. You know, oftentimes I think I would try to love someone who's so dysfunctional so hard because I, I just, I want to fix them. You know, that, that fairy tale of uh, the, the heroine who tames the beast and, and that's their fairy tale. But when you try and put fairy tales in real life, it kind of gets messed up because the fairy tale for the guy, it's like, oh, I'm going to save the damsel in distress. Well, if a girl in real life is in this much distress, she's probably really messed up. So you want to stay away do you from know, her. Uh, do you know when, <laughs> this is kind of an odd question, I mean, but do you know when the mental health of women in England was the very highest? The mental health of women do was I the very highest? Um, is it within like the last hundred years? Yeah, just l last hundred years or since it's really been measured. When was the uh -oh. mental health of women the very highest in England? I'm just going to say the Victorian era. No, it was actually right after Princess Diana died. Really? What do you mean, really? Why? Like, you were just talking about the death of fairy tales. Look, this what? girl, beautiful, oh, athletic, I... great yeah. hair. She okay. married the prince. Yeah. All the fantasies that women are supposed to have. Yeah. And then she, and then died, she died like a dog <laughs> in a tunnel trying to outrun the yeah. hounds of vanity in hot pursuit of her. This wasn't supposed to happen. She was a princess. She married the prince. Yeah. Wow. How interesting. And women wept themselves into a brief flash of sanity. So it's like when we try to take these, these archetypes or these tropes or whatever you want to call them and look for them in real life. In my case, you know, the beastly man, who need, the brutish man who just needs to be loved enough, you know, and be tamed. And in the case of the man. The, you, you tame the beast, right? The beauty and the beast thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the Prince Charming and, and only you, only your kiss can wake her up. So when we apply these tropes in real life, it's destructive. And that's like really what I've, I've learned. Well, there are, the, <laughs> fairies don't exist. So fairy tales <laughs> is a way of guaranteeing lovelessness and an arid existence of delusion. Yeah. I, I mean, I, what was, I what was so that. interesting about, about Princess Diana? Like what? 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 She, she, she threw herself down some stairs. She didn't eat. She got divorced. She got passed around. I think she ended up with some Muslim guy, and, and she got just yeah. kind of passed around, and she had a pretty miserable existence, and she was manipulative and kind of psychotic and a shopaholic. And mm -hmm. like, what, what was interesting about her? Oh, oh, okay. So she did care about landmines. I guess that's a good thing. And she did hug, hug some AIDS patients. I guess that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, really, why on earth was she the most 
photographed and fascinating woman in the entire world because she represented a kind of fantasy of a life without effort. That that life, that life where you're just pretty and the prince comes along and he scoops you up on his white horse and he marries you and it's televised all over the world and you're on the cover of every magazine and everybody. Oh my gosh, can you imagine what a great life that must be? Like Meghan Markle, you know, like no one really knew who she was before. And I didn't know who she was. I had no idea who the hell she was. I'm like, oh, okay. Now everyone knows her name. Yeah. Because she lived, you know, that fantasy that we all kind of look for. Um, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know why, you know, we, we like kind of resort to these tropes and, and wanting it to be our lives. But because culture if, wants us to fail. Because who because wants culture us wants us to be so oh, deluded culture. that we can't be happy. Yeah. Because when we're happy, we can't be controlled. And when we're happy, we don't keep buying shit all the time. Yeah, I can see that. How and, and it starts, um, you know, very young. Like, and I love the Disney movies. You know, what are you going to do? But certainly, I was five and talking about, you know, Prince Charming and talking about probably up until I was in my very late teens, just waiting for this person to come and save me from from some not too distant. You're still waiting. <laughs> what do you mean? See, the the way that you kill a culture is you raise the expectations of women. To an impossible level. Yeah, you talked about this. That before. is exactly how you you yeah. can destroy, and it's like a silent neutron bomb that goes off in the wombs and eggs of the women. Just keep raising the women's standards to the point where men, mere mortal men, cannot possibly. <laughs> I mean, my God, the most attractive man, at least when I was younger, he's still a pretty good-looking guy, right? Brad Pitt, right? Great yeah, body, yeah. great talent, great hair, he's great. He's got that face of like the soulful thug. He's got like that, that uh-huh. for some reason that like Jim Morrison's soulful thug face just makes women's nipples go into helicopter mode. I don't even <laughs> know what the hell's going on, but that's because I'm not a woman, right? And so, and he, you know, he's not enough. She, Angelina Jolie dumped his ass, right? <laughs> now they'll be fighting in court for four years. Even he's not enough, right? Yeah. So, like. <sighs> You you really think that just all all of this issue that I'm having with just this hesitation to connect physically and just feeling so afraid is just this addiction to like living in uncertainty? Here here's how you you have a miserable life. Are you ready? Yeah. I can do better. I can do better. I can do yeah, better. I can do true. better. I can do 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 better. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then you true. run out of the clock. And then the great switch curse in your early to mid-30s where you can't no, get guys anymore your own age. You certainly can't. Because here's the thing. When you're young, and you know this, right? But when you're young mm-hmm. and you're in the height of your beauty as, you know, mm-hmm. your, your fertility markers, your clear skin, your lustrous hair, your great physique and all. Like in, in, and you're like, you stride the universe like a goddess. And, and literally like a goddess, right? <laughs> and, and, and you can command and you can control and you can yeah. get men's attention. And this is particularly true. In the age of swipe left social media, mm-hmm. you know, sex and STD spreading viral apps, right? So, so yeah. you have all of this incredible power. And I don't begrudge it. I think it's fine. It's, it's the way nature intended us. And, and that's great. <laughs> yeah. But then what happens is you're like, oh, man, I'm too good for him. I'm too good for him. Maybe I'll date mm-hmm. him a little bit now. He doesn't match me. And I'll mm-hmm. go and date. I, I've got all the time in the world. And this power will never, ever end. Until it does. Until... And this is it's a, it's a satanic thing that is being sold to women. 
it, it literally is satanic because by the time you wake up, you know, I dated this woman who was older than me. Mm -hmm. And she was really at the end of, like, it was like do or die, right? Do or die. Mm -hmm. I won't get into much of the details because I want to make sure we stay, keep this about you. But anyway, let's just put it this way. Um, I'll be perfectly frank. I've always thought I was a great catch. I've always thought, like, listen, mm -hmm. when I was younger, I was a little bit, uh, a bit more of a temper and a little bit Did more. Did you like, look thuggish? I'm sorry? Did you look thuggishly handsome like Brad Pitt? Um, I, I had a definite bad boy streak. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> a definite bad boy streak. And um, so, I, but I always thought, okay, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a decent provider. I'm going to be a great mm -hmm. dad. Like that was always my, my goal, right? That was, I mean, I was a kid and I was looking forward down the tunnel of time. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 34. When the year 2K comes, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be in an office. I'm in a nice suit. I have a professional uh, career. And I thought, that's what I was doing and all of that. So I always thought, okay, like you could date other guys, but why? <laughs> like why? <laughs> I guess you could go for someone else if you want, but why? And yeah, like I'm a good husband. I'm a, gr a good dad, like a great husband, great dad, I think. And I remember dating this woman. I was in my early 30s. She was in my late 30s. She was in her late 30s. And... She still looked great and, and all of that, mm -hmm. and and yet uh, she was really, you know, Babies. she didn't like, uh, I don't know, she thought I wasn't quite, uh, I was too emotionally available, you know, like I, I like men yeah, who are a bit more... like why don't, what's wrong with us? Well, like, no, she, she was just fussy, right? She was fussy like she was 20. Uh-huh. And anyway, so we went out for a little bit. I got tired of the fussiness, and, and we broke up. And she fun. ended up remember. alone, right? I mean, that's... She ended up alone? Of course she did. Because if so she's she too fussy in her late 30s for a guy who's good-looking, successful, professional, and, uh, you know, seven years longer, younger, well, um, good luck. <laughs> good luck <laughs> with the over 40 had... uh, crowd, right? Um, a woman who you had said that you dated her briefly, but she was older and all she wanted was just babies. And then you're like, okay, like, I, I can't. This is too much. Well, no, see, and this is, no, this was the same woman. She did want babies. And I said, listen, I'm going through therapy. I've just become myself. And if I just become a dad yeah. right now, I won't have had enough time being just who and I am like, and no, all of that. Baby. But I was willing to, you know, I was still young and, and unwise in the ways of egg death, right? So um, <laughs> yeah. it was the same woman, but she's like, and, and basically I was her last shot, but it was like, ah, you know, yeah. I prefer a man who's just a little bit more reserved. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I don't mean to be, I don't want to put people down. I really, really don't want to put people down. I really don't. I really don't. But sometimes the reality call, it's like, I'm like, are, are you serious right now? Like, yeah. you, you, like I'm 98% of what you want. Yeah. But that 2%, you're just going to like, and so I know this for a fact, and this is what is relative and, and relevant to you, Sarah. There is someone in your life who wants you to fail. Mm -hmm. They want you to fail and you cannot mm -hmm. please them and succeed at the same time yeah. there's someone in your life who wants you to fail i invite everyone who's listening to this conversation put a pause in it think about is there anyone in your life who is invested in your failure in other words if you succeed something about their life breaks yeah. 
something about <laughs> their universe. Like you've got the mom who's like, oh, drudgery, drudgery, everything's a burden. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you get what you want and you're happy and positive, you're gonna ram into her. You're gonna ram into that negativity. Yeah, and I even told her, you know, that you know we are official and so on and so forth. And if things continue, like we're gonna get married soon, and um, like she started like crying, and I think it was a combination of just feeling like herself very much a failure yep. because she's always expressed that she's never been treated right by a man. Like her dad was kind of abusive, and her first husband was a heroin addict, and my dad, while you know he paid the bills and provided in that respect, but. Uh, Oh, well, you know, he wasn't uh, very nice and he wasn't uh, always emotionally available, which is something that I've just learned to not expect from a man. So it's like if they don't have it, I was kind of just, oh, OK, don't care. But you understand you can't please you and her at the same time. No, you no, got to make exactly. a choice. Yeah. And she and is going to the people who don't know how destructive they are are the most destructive people at all. I know that sounds yeah. like some bullshit little koan or something from a fortune cookie, but it's really, really true. Your mother will sabotage the shit out of your relationship. And I don't think specifically, like, intentionally. No, no, that's what, that's more dangerous. Oh, I want her to fail. No, it's, it's, it's the most dangerous if she has no clue that she's doing it. Yeah. And I would say she doesn't have any clue of how, um, like, enabling of um, my half-sibling she is and, and just enabling of bad behavior period that she is like even with my father and whatnot like when james was over and again observing for the first time them uh, together he's like oh my god like i would never speak to you that way he's like literally all of that like that will never enter our house like right. that so he sees aspect. it right he's trying to draw that oh, he saw that wolf the wolf urine around yeah. the, the den right oh my god he's like this is why <laughs> he's so lovely he's like you know Sometimes I wish that, like, your parents didn't kind of begin the cause of all of these issues that you have. But then I think to myself, well, no, because she is two years older than me. So if she was normal, she probably would have been married by now and not available at 27. Okay, um, let's, I mean, the, the, the path of, uh, uh, nice. uh, let me give, give you a tiny, a tiny brief example from, from my life, right? So when I first started writing novels, I was 11 years old. I wrote a book called... Actually, I'd never finished it. I wrote, it was about half a novel called By the Light of an Alien Sun that my English teacher actually read out to the class until she got to the saucy parts, in which case she began blushing and everybody began because you could completely identify the girl in the class who was in my novel. It was really, Uh-oh. really obvious. And I liked her quite a bit. Anyway, um, so she helped me with some of my early novels. And she and I, we did have a fairly decent bond over my writing right so i wrote that science fiction novel and then i wrote a novel uh, about the first world war called the jealous war and then i wrote a novel about uh, my time in boarding school which i couldn't quite finish and then i started writing a novel uh, later uh, on revolutions which is the first one that i think was really good and complete anyway so the point is that she her father and her uncle were both famous writers in germany and from what she said, they had been ripped off by people copying their work. So she was always, always, always insisting 
that I get my copyright, that I hang onto my books, that I don't show them to anyone, that I make sure I hold them close. And I still have in my basement something I sent to myself, I don't know, over 30 years ago, which was a FedEx package, which was unopened to show ownership. And I did that as a result oh. of my mother insisting that I hold onto my copyright and I not release anything and I make sure that... And what did I end up doing with my books? Nothing. <laughs> well, my, new, my, my books are at free domain. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about like your ele- the one you wrote when you were 11. Like, oh, yeah. No, I didn't do anything with the book I wrote when I was 11. <laughs> oh, okay. So I yeah. have no... Uh, give them away. Yeah. Yeah. Give them away. Yeah. Now, that was tough. Now, if I had listened to my mother, and listen, this is not out of my mother's malevolence or anything like that, because mm-hmm. I'm sure that in the past, this was really, really important and so on. But it was a tough barrier for me to overcome this hoarder stuff. And to just let it all go yeah. out for free and all of that kind of stuff, right? And, you know, the books now have been downloaded, uh, and I assume read to some degree, like 10 million mm-hmm. times. That's insane. 10 million works of philosophy, literary works of philosophy out there in the world, right? That's amazing, right? Now, of course, that would never have happened if uh, I had charged for all of them and so on, right? And I was selling them and I was charging for them and I decided to uh, just give them away for free. Mm-hmm. Now, my mother was not in my life at that time, of course, but if she had been, she would have um, gone insane about that stuff. <laughs> she would have gone insane. And if I had listened to her, the show would not have grown in, in the way that it did. And I had someone in my life say, before I got married, I don't really want to get to know your wife uh, yeah. too much because yeah. I mean you just I mean your fiance because I mean you're just going to get divorced anyway and I just don't want to get attached to someone that you're going to get yeah. divorced and I'm I like you, uh, welcome to your show called not being in my life because you yeah. just can't have because people want to be right more than they want to be happy it's a fundamental fact of human nature mm-hmm. right they want to be right so more want- than they want to be happy that's why um, superstitions exist and, and just the, the, the anti-rational aspects of culture. And so someone, if someone thinks that you're wrong and you won't succeed and you can't, they, if you, <laughs> it's like, if you are succeeding and it turns out that they're wrong, they don't want to be wrong. So they will yeah. sabotage you in order to get their confirmation bias. They absolutely will. Yeah. And I do that to myself. You know, as we talk. No, no. It was done to you. Nobody just wakes up and start punching themselves in the face, Sarah. Come on. This was done to you. Your success is going to come at the brutal expense of people in your life. And you've got to identify that if you want to be happy. Yeah. And, like, it's sad because I very much feel like, and I've talked to James about this, that, like, I don't know what to do with these people because it's just like a house of heat dysfunction. Now you do. Now you do. Sure you do. Sure you do. Just keep, you know, my distance, I suppose. Oh, keep my distance, I suppose. That was kind of funny. <laughs> you suddenly sounded like Princess Diana a little bit there. Oh, did I? <laughs> no, listen, this is the brutal and hard choice that you have when you have dysfunctional people in your life. Yeah. There's, and it's funny because we were just talking about Meghan Markle, and I saw her in a show I watched a little bit of called Friend, uh, called Suits, sorry, called Suits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's this older, tough guy, boss, lawyer guy, and then there's this young guy. And this young guy's roommate is a drug dealer. And the older guy says to the younger guy, cut him loose, cut him loose. You want to have a future? Cut these losers loose. You cut them loose. 
that's that's your choice. You can hang around with these dregs or you can have a future, but you can't have both. And he was just like, boom, 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 right? And I was just reading about a minor landmine that I stepped on in my naive days where I thought people actually cared about protecting children rather than exploiting and Mm -hmm. abusing them. But, you know, I got into massive trouble, oh gosh, 12 years ago, whatever it is now, right? Uh, About this whole defooing thing, right? Funny story. Turns out... Matthew mm-hmm. McConaughey did not talk to his mother for eight years, right? He's, he's just written this autobiography. I haven't read it because I don't particularly care what makes an actor tick because usually they're pretty empty inside and it's all oh, a show. Oh, I guess that's why Rogan interviewed him. He just interviewed him. I didn't watch it because I don't care. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, he does yeah. a lot of sit-ups. Good for him, right? But um, <laughs> his mother was leaking personal details to the press and and his mother would get the this is when he was first became famous his mother would have tabloids over and show the house that he grew up in and say oh here's where i caught him in bed with such and such a girl and here's where he was in the shower and i caught him in the shower and you know what he was doing in the shower as a teenage boy right and he's like mom stop doing it and she wouldn't she first denied it oh i didn't talk to them and then he eventually would admit it but she kept doing it and he just right Mm -hmm. cut her loose jennifer aniston didn't talk to her mother for like a decade and there are other people who've separated from parents. And nobody's sitting there saying, oh, my God, you're talking about this, man. You're running a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I read that about you, I thought it was really like. Yeah, you see, not having destructive wall. people in your life is running a cult. Yeah, like <laughs> right? I thought. Whereas, of course, a cult is actually people who say you have to have destructive people in your life. If, if you can't leave your family, your family's a cult. Yeah. Right? It's all projection, right? It's all projection right plus i never told anyone to leave their family by the way just saying it was physically Mm -hmm. possible to do so which is a truth true statement right and (laughs) like i've taught like i have talked to these people you know so many times and i pointed things out and explained and you know as nicely as i can that this is enabling behavior and like literally just um insofar as um, my half brother who's 40 like living at the house I told her, I'm like, these are the three things that are going to happen because I know how, you know, this family works. He is going to live here permanently. He's going to go on disability and then he is going to self-destruct and will not be here anymore. And two out of those three things have happened. And just everyone just goes about the day. And my dad, very much like me, I suppose, obsesses about building things outside. He's very talented at at building things. And he's a jack of all trades, master of all of them, and just ignores everything. And then my mom just ruminates about all of the things that she has to do, because if she doesn't do them, you know, where is he going to go? And then you have, you know, the, the depressed and, and emotionally not capable, physically not capable adult child who doesn't want help living there as well. Right. So it's like, what do you do with these people? Like, what do you even do? And I remember James saying like, yeah, um, so if and when we have kids and if this kind of goes in the direction that it's logically going, which is what we say when we're referring to, you know, getting married, like, I wouldn't really want them like around the kids a lot. I'm like, oh, no, no, don't me either. Don't me either. Don't worry. Well, okay, but how are you going to enforce these boundaries? Well, I would just not bring them over to that. Like, I wouldn't... Have um, you never heard of the the, the drop-by? Yeah, um, I I wouldn't, A, like, just leave them in the company of these people, like, without being monitored. Um, But I would... Um, Yeah, what would I do? (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, I guess part of me hopes that the situation will resolve itself. And then when kids come into the picture, um, those issues won't exist anymore. But that Wait, are you, are you saying that they've given up on trying to destroy kids? Like that was just a youthful hobby and then they're not going to do it anymore? <sighs> I suppose the, the issue as to why it is so dangerous, as you said before, is that they don't understand that the behavior is very damaging. Hence me being 27 and still trying to work through these issues. Oh, yeah. Listen, um, if my daughter's 27 and she's not... You, like it would just that that's the only topic of conversation that we would have like that's all and whatever we would need to do whatever yeah. would happen right yeah it's it's just strange to me that all these people live in very clear dysfunction and it's just never addressed um and i suppose that's why i do not know if maybe i overthink things or overcomplicate things but i suppose that's why i'm just so no like i need you to are make a people sure. pleaser no, no. I, I, let me make the case. I'm not trying to define you, and I could be completely wrong, no. right? Just, just so I, you know, right? Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. It, 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 to be a people pleaser is a beautiful thing. Mm. Because, you know, people got to knit the fabric of society together, right? Now, Certainly, being, yeah. but, but of course, it means that you're susceptible to the influence of other people, right? Yeah. Believe it or not, I'm a people pleaser too. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> that I also have to please the truth, and I try not to... Uh, tear myself apart trying to trying to do both right if i have a i have a sort of final port of call which is the truth and if that annoys people well you know it's, it's too bad right it's really a shame but uh, i can't do much about that so but the reason i'm saying this so the people pleaser um you can't be in demand without being a people pleaser and as we talked about earlier right one of the things that you want to be is is in demand. Now, mm. the reason why you, one of the reasons why you're indecisive, I would argue, is that you want to please both your future self mm. and your parents' history. Mm -hmm. And you can't, because those two are opposite directions. Yeah, exactly. I don't want a relationship like my parents. I've always said that, like, but if you, it's... Yeah. Like that or be alone, like I'd rather be alone. So I guess that's what I'm, you know. Holy false dichotomy, Batman. For. <laughs> okay, so many years ago, I guess, and somebody will send me the link for this, and I really, really appreciate the book, Brain of the Listeners Out. So many years ago, when I was a teenager, I was in my early mid-teens, I read a book, uh, a novel about anorexia, which I, I really mm -hmm. found quite fascinating, and I remember a couple of bits from it. And the two bits I remember was the woman forcing her, the girl, she was a teenage girl, forcing herself to run around a track and she said her body sweated like it was weeping or her body began to weep or mm. something like that. But the reason it all started was because, and of course there was lots of backstory. I don't, they don't, they didn't get the level of trauma correct to me. Anorexia almost always comes out of uh, 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 sexual abuse. But anyway, mm. the girl was in school and she was going from her locker to her math class and the math class had a kind of mean teacher and she's getting close to the math class. She's just on time, and she realizes she's forgotten her math book in her locker. And she stalls. She just completely stops, and she says, oh, my God. If I go into the class, I'll be on time, but I'll get in trouble for not having my math book. But if I go back to my locker to get my math book, I would be late for class, and I would get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of had a little breakdown and sagged down and wouldn't get up. Oh. Because she couldn't 
please anyone yeah. in that situation. She was going to end up in a situation where she was going to get in trouble no matter what. Yeah. Now, it's I don't want to speak for James, but it sounds pretty clear. Like, if he met your parents at a dinner party, he wouldn't be like, let's stay in touch. <laughs> no. Hell, if you yeah. met your parents at a dinner party, you wouldn't be like, hey, I don't have enough of people who feel like Atlas uh, uh, holding up the entire planet with knees buckling and blood dripping down their faces. They go, oh. <laughs> so let's stay in touch, right? The dinner party yeah. question with regards to your family origin is really important. If you just met them now. Yeah. Would you stay in touch? Would you be interested? You just met them now. Yeah, no history with them, no bond, no nothing. You just met them now. What would you do? Well, you'd probably have an interesting conversation with James if you met your parents at a dinner party. You'd be like, wow, that was odd or that was kind of intense or these people were like. But you wouldn't sit there and say, let's be buds. No, I wouldn't. Well, that's important. That's important. No, I would not. Um and I, I do find it interesting that he said the way you described it is completely accurate. Um, so that kind of made me feel better in a way because I think you, you are tempted to question, you know, am I being too judgmental of the behavior? Is it just because it's my family and you see the good, the bad, and the ugly? Is it just because I personally am very sensitive to these types of like depressive and, and bipolar uh, bouts of behavior because I grew up with it? You know, is it just me over-exaggerating? What is it? And he's like, nope, nope, completely accurate. So it is something that is seen um, that really anybody I would challenge could come to dinner with me and not really be given any sort of, um, of preface as to what they'll experience. And they will probably have the same reaction as they get in the car and say, whoa, like I'm exhausted. This is an exhausting group of people to be around. And I'm like, yeah, mm hmm. Yep. And he's like, well, it kind of all makes sense now because I've obviously, you know, we've known each other and we've been friends for many years and we've tried to be more serious for many years. So it's like I understand just that sense of mm, oh, <laughs> that you seem to live with because it's just like dripping off of your mom as she interacts with the world. Um, and I said, yes, <laughs> that that is very much one of my fears as well is becoming my mother and living the life of my mother saying, well, you know, I couldn't find a good guy. But oh, no, no, I that's not the real risk. No, 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 that's not the real risk because your mother became a mother. Yeah, but she says she'd rather be alone. Like her, her, uh, what she always says is, you know, I've always been uh, abused by men my whole life. And so if I had known that this is what, you know, marriage would be, I would just be alone. Do you know what Jung says about... The most powerful effect on people, what has the most effect on a human being? Mm, it, is it, I'm assuming, like what they hear growing up, like their parents? They, he says the most powerful influence on a human being is the unlived life of the mother. Oh, that's fascinating. Really? Do you know what my mother wanted to do? She wanted um, to be I... a public intellectual. <laughs> I'm not fucking kidding. I'm not. I shouldn't laugh. No way. I'm a, well, at least that didn't have a big effect on me or anything. 
That's amazing. My so mom wanted to write a book about her experiences called One Woman's Century, and she was planning it for years. Never wrote it, of course, because the only re- way you write a book is if you absolutely have to. People who want to write a book, it's like, I want to be an astronaut. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. But no way. No, my mom wanted to to write and to to speak and to explain the world to the world and <laughs> right. So the unlived wow. life of the mother. Now your mother wants to be what? Alone. That's and what's she aiming you? What's she programming you to be? Alone. There you go. Oh my God, that's literally amazing. That's all I I have heard her say since I was five years old and she would pick out, you know, oh, cooking all the time. If I was alone and I mean, I love you kids, but if I didn't have you, I would just make like something in bulk and just eat it the the same thing every day because I hate cooking all the time. Like literally everything, it would go back to if I was alone, you know, this is how I would do things. Yeah. Oh my God, that's incredible. Yep. Wow. That's important for people. You got to look at what your parents wanted but never got or never achieved or never worked for. Yeah. That's the biggest weakness that people have. That's the biggest influence that tends to program people's lives is the unlived life. I never thought about that. And I've always said I don't want to, to... be my mom like I don't want to have a relationship like her I don't want to you know interact with the world the way she does just so negatively but yeah see if I if I met your mom I'd probably say something like hey asshole stop wishing your kids were dead (laughs) you freak of nature yeah it's like the the matter with you if you have those thoughts go to a counselor go to a psychiatrist go drink in a bar go to a fucking witch doctor i don't care but don't say that shit to your kids what are you crazy yeah. what's the matter with no, you I, and like i've talked to her about it too and i've tried to get her to go to therapy and you know i expressed it's not bad like there's nothing wrong like i've spoken very openly about my experiences you know with therapy and no she's not going to go no she doesn't because she straight up says to me no no i don't need that i go to the lord and I don't want like no, I don't no. Want she's she's a professional that. minister of doom and gloom from the kingdom of woe is me. <laughs> like I, it's it's just it's so ridiculous that but I that, go to the Lord and the Lord says, "Oh man, could you go somewhere else? This is really she, really bringing me down." <laughs> I mean, I'm eternal, and you're dragging me down. Oh my God! But that that is how she is. Like she always just says, "Oh, you know, the only man who's ever treated me right is the Lord," and and it's okay because in heaven, like your father can't get to me anymore. And oh my God! And isn't it insane? So no wonder I'm just like, oh, n- no one can know me, you know, intimately. No one can know all of me. No, no one. I can't be connected to anyone because it's just better to be alone. And until and just, Jesus says, "Hey, honey." I'm the one supposed to be on the cross, not you. <laughs> yeah. I'm stealing. I stole that from James, which is great. She's very much a martyr. She's always been that way. Right. Um, so it's, it goes back to. And, and so she mom. controls people through weakness. Right. Okay. And, and indecisiveness my, is my, also okay. weakness. And you control people through the same mechanism. Okay. So I guess the big, you know, million dollar question, how do, like, how do you not do that? Like, what do you well, do? Then you have to, you have to have value you in do? yourself. You have to have value in yourself. Uh-huh. 
through not being wanted? That's the question which we got to sit on here, right? Hey. Listen, do you know, do you know how happy my daughter is with my deplatforming? Very, because well, she gets time mostly, with you. mostly, right? <laughs> mostly because she's like, uh, you know, you seem more available, right? <laughs> I mean, that this, oh, right? So it's not like okay, so I lost a million YouTube subscribers and half a million Twitter subscribers and and, and yeah. stuff like that. But my wife still loves me. My uh, my daughter still loves me. And uh, that's kind of what matters, right? It's not like these strangers were going to come and hold my hand as I skateboard into the great hereafter at the end of my life, right? Yeah. You, I mean, I know you'll be over um, helping me change my <laughs> elderly diapers. And, like, But no, you're going to go have your life, and I want you to go have your life, and that's great. But it's the people in my life who are going to gonna stick around right and i thought about that like i thought well you know if i'm just alone and it's very possible to take care of yourself you know when you're old and no, i don't it's not. think <laughs> no no it's really not <laughs> okay i do i am curious as to i do want to come back to that but i just want to throw this just to for you to think about is it appropriate to say i want to have children because i want to be taken care of like when i'm older is that like an appropriate way to look at children no. Okay, that's what no. I No, however, however, a side effect of you being a great parent is they will yeah. want to take care of you of their own accord. Yeah. I mean, my parents sucked, and I'm still just like, I gotta go over there and make sure, you know. No, you don't. No, no one's had emotional No, you break. don't. No, you don't. You really, really don't. You can choose to. You can if you want, but you don't have to. So, Sarah... Yes. What value are you bringing in 33 years when you're 60? And what, you're creaky, yeah. and you may have had some, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger did a couple of too many deep knee bends <laughs> with 450 pounds on each shoulder, oh, and now the guy indeed. can barely use his knees, right? Yeah. So th that. there is going to be, I hate to say it, right? You look fantastic now. It's entirely possible there's going to be a little bit of a price to pay down the road. Mm -hmm. What does uh, Tiger Woods say about, we wish he knew when he was younger. He's like, I wish I hadn't run so much because my knees are mm. hell. Guy was running like 30 miles a week and uh, his knees are like, uh, you know, two pieces of Lego bouncing around in a bag, right? So... What value are you bringing to the table post-hotness? Yeah, and I've, I've literally thought about that. I haven't phrased it like in this way, in that way, obviously, but I thought about it, well, you know, like Forrest Gump when he's just like, well, I, I just stopped. What did he have left? He had a lot left, and he went off and he did a lot of things. So I've asked myself that, like, if I just stop or if I have to stop, stop like what? who am and well wait James, sorry stop what like if i have to stop like um um who am i you know like if i have to stop lifting and i have to stop doing the thing that very much is up my identity because it allows me to be wanted and it allows me to look good and feel good and feel um like i have accomplished something you know because i'm quite strong i don't i don't look very um like people think of a bodybuilder who is a female, they don't think of something very feminine looking. Um, I'm very strong and I still maintain, you know. Yeah, you're not one of these female bodybuilders. It's like, oh, so you're wearing a bikini top. <laughs> Why again? 
<laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, just for if anyone cares, like, uh, so there's bikini and then there's the figure division. And I do the figure division. That's my division. And then it starts getting freaky looking as you go above that. Anywho, but I thought of that and I'm like, what will I have? And I've spoken to James about this and he's like, well, you know, the, the way that we're going now, you'll have me and I'll love you and we'll probably have children and we'll have our own family and you know we're we'll establish no these that, but that's no that's not value you'll bring to the table that's a need a guy has for you and and that's but that's the, 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 the two are not completely separate right what do you have post hotness what value do you bring to the table when you're old and gray you're asking me yeah like what i think Okay. Well, I would say... A guy um, will put up with an indecisive girl if she can bench yeah. press 240. <laughs> what, what about when you can't? Do you mean to James or like in general? Let's start with to James. Okay. So James, you uh, are post-hotness. Yeah. Okay. Why is he still there? Because I have demonstrated for 33 years <laughs> that I am loyal to him. We have a history together, so we have established that we um, want to be with each other. We've been through each other through the good and the bad. Um, I have demonstrated to him that I care about him. Um, what else would... I guess loyalty, if you're with someone for 33 years, I would say loyalty is a big thing. Well, um, when did I, you first meet him? Um, I met him, we met in 2016, the summer of 2016. So he's had close on half a decade of not exactly the opposite of loyalty, but not far from it, right? But just like, yeah, it's interesting that you said that because now I just feel like I want him to just feel so secure, like with us. Like, I don't want him to ever feel like if I don't pick up the phone, it's because I've changed my mind. So well, if no, but you've got a lot of undoing to do there, right? Yeah, yes, yes, I recognize so that. So you have to be super 100% loyal, which is very tough for yeah. you, right? Because of the overthinking and the, the addiction yeah. to being uncertain and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so a lot of the things that you talked about were, well, we've spent a lot of time together. We've, we've have a, yeah. We have a history together, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, you know who else has a history together? Your parents. My parents. So no, simply being in proximity does not mean yeah. you give value. Okay. Um, well, we have wonderful conversations. Like we obviously have the same um, interests and we have the same worldview. So there, there will not be any difficulty in raising children who aren't insane, you know, leftists. Um, so that's, this is a very puzzling question. What, what would like a good answer look like, I suppose? Like, what are some things that you should be able to give to your partner after 33 years? So loyalty. Um, I've always thought just like upbeatness. I don't know how else to say it, but just like positivity. Flightiness. And no! <laughs> well, no, that's upbeat. Birds fly. They go. They beat their wings. They go up. Um, All right. You're so funny. Um, no, but just like, like I'm very positive towards him, and I'm always encouraging him, and and there's no reason that he should for him to feel like he won't succeed because he's going to. And I'm always. Well, no, very... he hasn't succeeded with you, which is the number one thing in his life, right? 
Mm. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Why he would feel insecure about his ability to succeed if you know the one thing that he's really... No, he's, he's... Look, you're both addicted to your uncertainty. I mean, let's not let James off the hook completely here. There's something about... Maybe it's the high status thing or whatever, but you mm-hmm. are uh, both addicted to your insecurity. So then the question is... And listen, mm-hmm. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny little story, right? So when I was young, I was about uh, 21 or 22. I was in theater mm-hmm. school and I was home uh, for March break or something like that. And a friend of mine and I from theater school, like I would go to nightclubs and I was a good dancer. And of course, I was a good looking guy and all of that, mm-hmm. right? And so I would meet girls and, and all of that. And it was pretty, I wouldn't say easy, like, oh, easy, 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 because, you know, I was always still, you know, you're always aiming high, always aiming high, right? Yeah. And anyway, so a friend of mine and I, we decided to go to a very cool nightclub as total geeks. <laughs> and now we, we knew we couldn't get in. We knew we couldn't get in as total geeks, right? Mm-hmm. So we had to smuggle in the clothes and the horn-rimmed glasses and the hair grease, right? (laughs) And we spent the entire evening there absolutely nerding out to N-dimensional Star Trek 9 degrees. We danced badly. (laughs) We went up to women who were ferociously attractive with absurd overconfidence. (laughs) And it was an incredibly memorable and enjoyable evening to see what it's like to not be attractive. Yeah, that's amazing. And we went up to, and it's, we didn't just do it to girls. We did it to the guys too. Like all the cool bros, the, 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 yeah. the nightclub bros with like their shades on, even though it's Corey Hart sunglasses at night crap, right? Looking totally cool. We just go up, hey guys, how you doing? What are you oh up my- to? What are you talking about? <laughs> and you could see them like, oh shit, I've got a nerd burr on me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Peel it off, right? They'd have to step away. Oh, it's like the wingman who's shooting down my plane. <laughs> yeah. And it was really, really interesting to be unattractive for an evening, right? Yeah. You should try it. And go where? <laughs> No, don't don't go all rubber bones on me. You absolutely could figure this out. I remember working up north with a girl. I remember working up north with a woman. And we had to go into town, but I had to wait for an hour and a half for her to put her face on. I'm like, what? You're 21 years old. You can't go into town without makeup? No, I cannot go into town without makeup. I'm like, but, but, (laughs) come on. Yeah. Right? So who are you if you're not generating desire? Yeah. If you're not being wanted, it's fascinating because it's going to happen and you better be prepared for it or you're going to end up with your mother. What's the burden? The burden is she needs to devalue everyone in her life so they don't see how little value she brings to the table. Wow. Wow. So that you feel insecure around your mom's bond, then you reproduce that insecurity for James's bond so that you never sit there and say, what the hell are you bringing to the table that's positive, mom? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Wow, that's really interesting. I never thought about that with my mother. Because time, is- time is going to 
time is going to beat up your hotness. Like yeah. me in nerd glasses in a biker bar. Yeah. And if you don't have, like, this is the Me Too thing I talked about way back with Robin Williams' death, right? The, the one that yeah. seemed to piss off Joe Rogan no end. But anyway, um, who are you? What value do Wait, you bring outside of the show, outside of the muscles, outside of the tits and ass and outside of the prettiness and out? Like, what do you bring? And I guess that, like, I got tired of of doing that, like, on dates, you know, like, yeah. being whatever, whatever that is, you know, that you are in the very beginning before you really know each other. And I just got tired of doing that. Oh, and I bet you you're like some Japanese whale ship with the harpoon of lust. Just <laughs> got one. It definitely, and, you know, women will not say this, like, as frankly as I will, but, like, it feels very, very good sure. to be desired. And sometimes, and and um, I'm sure to an extent women relate to this, sometimes it's to the point where you're just like, can like can I not like just go to the grocery store, you know? Because men are very vocal in certain areas of the country, and yep. they'll say what they think, and they'll follow you to the grocery store, and they'll yep. follow you to your car. And no, like, it okay, is. See, here's, here's the, the thing, though. Store. Like, so what I'm and listen, I sympathize with that, and I I hate that about men. I think for a man, first of all, look for a ring. Secondly, look if the woman is is yeah. dressed up to the point where she might be approachable. And third, just do a real distant flyby, like, hey, how you doing? Um, or you know, um, I don't know, make a little conversation in the line or something. But if the woman is not warming up to you, and I just leave it, man, and, and that yeah, way like it's right. Gone, it's really important. Phone. But here's the thing, right? So this is the great trick, right? So for women, to be wanted is not that hard. To be kept, that's a whole different thing. I agree. I guess I've never, like, I've never experienced what it's like to be in a relationship where I'm not trying to love someone hard enough to fix them. So I guess I, yeah, you're laughing at that. No, no, which means, which means that your love is kind of an insult. Right, because like you're because you, listen, only I'm only going to love you if you're broken. I've literally, oh golly, I've literally said in jest, well, half jest, to like just some of like my my boys at uh, the gym that if I find a man attractive, it's almost like an insult because that means you're really yeah. messed up. Yeah. Or like that that girl, I, the the sorry, the woman I was dating who was seven years older than me. Do you know mm-hmm. who she found really attractive? Um, you wouldn't know this. Sorry, it's a completely stupid Charles question. Charles I don't know. Uh, David Beckham. He's, I mean, yeah, he's good looking. He's a good he's looking not- guy, if you don't mind the crazy ass uh, Louver from Hell tattoos all over his body. Yeah, he's a good looking guy. The guy stubbles up well. He's got a nice head of hair. Like, he's a good looking yeah. guy, right? And she was, like, she was, oh, she was like, that's a really, really good looking guy. It's like, yeah, he's, um, you're never meeting him. You're never going to meet him. It's like, I like, I think Sandra Bullock is quite pretty, except for the fact that she and Kate Blanchett seem to use circumcision foreskin-based face creams, which seems kind of satanic and predatory upon uh, mutilated children. But nonetheless, a charming Wait, and what? attractive actress, right? Uh, you know what? And I remember when I was younger, this is, this is the insane thing that we have about, about dating, right? I remember when I was younger... Uh-huh. Let's say Sandra Bernhardt, sorry, uh, Sandra Bullock, right? Sandra Bullock got married, right? 
And you know what I would think? Aw. Like, what, I have a chance here? <laughs> like, oh, that <laughs> means she's off the market her. for me. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, reality means she's off the market for you because you're never going to meet her, right? But yeah. the, we have this thing, and this is part of the... Um, the insane standard thing, I mean, it's, you know, there's certain, there's a biological phenomenon, I can't remember what it's called, but it's when animals don't know when something is too much, right? So birds mm -hmm. like to sit on the biggest egg because it usually means the strongest hatchling, right? And so if they take an ostrich egg and put it into a bird's nest, the bird will sit on that at the expense of its own offspring, right? Super stimulus, something like that, right? And it's mm -hmm. when you don't know something is too much. And... We have that, of course, where we're exposed to physically perfect, photoshopped, they got a team working on them, all this kind of stuff. We're exposed continually to physically perfect specimens, genetic freaks, who, mm -hmm. again, it's their job. They have a whole team. I mean, how much does Kim Kardashian get pay paid for not having a second plate of pasta? About a bazillion dollars. <laughs> hey, pay anyone a bazillion dollars, they'll probably be able to not have that. <laughs> second plate of pasta right so yeah. we, we get we continually exposed to this endless parade of physically perfect people right look good yeah. from every angle right and we, we see this of course on movies on on television on magazines newspapers uh, of, for people with pornography you know you've got a you know you can't have any weird lumpen killer whale ass parts hanging off your body you know generally you got to look good from i guess just about every angle including some entirely unusual and probably unholy ones. And so we just get exposed to this perfection all the time. And then, well, then you just meet a human, <laughs> you meet an actual real life human being whose job it is. Uh, I remember, oh, there's some movie with uh, Denzel Washington. He plays a pilot. And at the beginning, he's with this woman who's flight? got a uh, flight. Yeah. It's a whole flight. Yeah. And he, he's with this woman who's got this ass you could use as a stepladder. <laughs> right? I mean, it literally, like, she's got this thin waist, and then it looks like her, her butt is sneezing two basketballs or something like that, right? It's just like, that is not human. That is not natural. I mean, again, it's genetic freaks, and there's that Brazilian bum-bum contest and all that, yeah. and it's like, yeah, it's like the narrow waist and the big ass, right? The narrow waist and the big tits, right? I mean, that's just not the way that most bodies go. And yes, occasionally it does happen, blah, 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 blah. In which case you get OnlyFans and all of that genetic perfection doesn't get passed along because you get used up and broken uh, and then you end up not being able to be a, a mom or whatever it is, right? Yeah. But, yeah, this, I just want to sort of point out this physical perfection stuff. And this is why I get sort of mad at the, the if you're an elderly woman and you've got a great figure, keep that shit to yourself because you're just making people feel bad. You're just making mm -hmm. people feel bad because that's your job. It's your job. Right? I mean, lawyers don't sit there and say, I'm really fucking good at the law, man. I'm going to post all the time how really I'm better at the law than you am. I'm better in the law than you and you and you. You suck at the law and you suck. Dude, I'm not a lawyer. It's not my job. <laughs> like, I get it. You got a great figure and a great body because it's your job. And it's now become your neurotic obsession. Right? I got to tell you, and I'm not putting you in this category as a whole, but when I see both men and women with great figures, I think body dysfunction i think mental problem i think you are something's not quite i mean you're in the gym world right i mean something's not quite right here yeah and james and i even have talked about this because he he's into the gym as well you know but not as much as me and he likes powerlifting. um and we've talked about guys who one of whom i know quite well 
who squat like 600 pounds for like five, like they go up and down with six. This is a 200 pound man squatting 600 pounds on his shoulder five times. And he's like, Oh wow. Like how do you even do that? And I told him like, honestly, my dear, you have a shit ton of mental problems. Well, and And usually a, a whole bunch of steroids. Yeah, that, that as well. Um, so it's very true. And you had mentioned that a lot of times there's like a lot of drugs involved and, and not always, you know, there are people who are just freakishly strong and whatnot, but certainly like one of the owners of the gym, he's not even 50. He had like a heart attack. He had to have open heart surgery, you know? So, I mean, um, um, same thing happened to Schwarzenegger. He had to have his entire chest cracked open. And it's like, yeah, it's great that you can lift three times your body weight through your knees, <laughs> but let's have a stair climbing contest in 15 years and see who can make it up, right? And I mean, in my uh, neck of the woods, like the the figure sports where literally you're just just talking about your body from an, an objective point of view, just kind of f- coming full circle. Um, now, from the beginning of the conversation with my monologue, just this sense of, you know, like your body's just seen as as an object and it's just kind of seen as this thing that... no. Like, Absolutely. No, sorry. Your body is not being seen as an object. You are presenting your body as an object. Yeah. You can't yes, play no, victim I, in this one, right? Yes, I will absolutely. You know, it's absolutely. funny. I, yeah. I'm a woman with a 34 double D chest and I walk into a restaurant topless and everyone just objectifies me. <laughs> because I'm like teeny tiny. So no. <laughs> well, whatever, yeah. right? But, uh, but I understand the reference. Yes. So let me. No, it's not teeny oh. tiny. Conservative. Efficient. Yes, I like that better. Conservative. <laughs> uh, you know, you have you have you have a chaste bosom. I guess that's that's what I can tell you. You have uh, a uh, an aristocratic, respectful, and conservative. All right. Yeah. Understated. Subtle. That's I'm gonna use that now. I mean, the behind that's a different story. <laughs> oh, you have the step ladder. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That that's just. I'm very. Um, hourglass of no actually more pear-shaped I suppose but my shoulders are very broad and they create like a nice hourglass creates the illusion but yeah so I suppose going back to that the nature of what I do is you're kind of presenting yourself to the people at the gym and you know who you're just kind of talking to about your biceps and your glutes whatever as just you know just just this thing just this object so I guess that's kind of where the sense of like like, what am I for in this way? You know, I've just thought about that. Like, if I'm not just an object, you know, because I don't want to be that. So it's like, what is, is like the healthy balance? And, and like, what am I for? I don't know. Am I making sense? Man, listen, listen, you are making perfect sense. And you are right at the core of just about the most powerful issue in life. Okay. And what, what is it? Like you're, you're right. What is your value? (gasps) Right. Everybody has to ask this question and you don't ever get get just one answer in your life. I understand. Right. What is your value? If you are certain and secure in your value, you can stand just about any storm. Okay. And I'll know like, like what different parts of myself should experience, like what, my emotions should feel like when I'm with like someone who I'm in a relationship with. Okay. So now I'm, I'm afraid I've got to give you the girly sticker because we went from what is your value to how do I feel? 
And I'm afraid that is just too girly for me. I I can't get there with you as yet. And I'm sure that's very, very important, but I'm going to have to dude it up a little just for a minute or two more. And then we'll get to the how do you feel about it stuff. No, but it's like what what value do you have? Now, here's here's what's tragic, right, Sarah, is that when you were a child, you should never have had to answer that question. Yeah. But you did, unfortunately, because of dysfunctional parenting. Dysfunctional, like the unconditional love, the, the bonding, the, the worship. My daughter doesn't have to perform yeah. for me. She doesn't have to bring me value. Right? That's my job as the parent. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. I, have to, I can't go from like zero to 100% by the time she turns 18. I got to kind of lift that up uh, as we go forward. But if you as a child never have to ask, what value yeah. do I bring? You end up being so full of value as you move through life that you never experience this kind of doubt. And I guess that was the issue because growing up, I heard, oh, if I didn't have you kids, I love you. I'm glad I have you. But if I didn't have you, then, you know, my life would be this. And yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I had the same thing. My mother um, basically believed that she was going to be Meryl Streep or something if she was some, some famous intellectual or whatever. If she didn't, she wasn't tied down with the kids, yeah. right? And um, that's tragic that. because then she got neither, right? I mean, that's just, she didn't end up being a good mom or become a famous, at least she could have become a famous intellectual or something. That would have been interesting, but uh, she didn't even, right? So what value are you bringing? Now, right now, the answer is, to some degree, not all, right? To some degree, the answer yeah. is youth and beauty, sexual attractiveness, and, and all of that stuff, right? And that's, I'm not saying, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not like, oh, you got to dress like, a, you know, you're a burka, you got to wear the beekeeper or be a nun, or I'm not saying it. There's nothing wrong with being attractive. There's nothing wrong with being pretty. There's nothing wrong with being sexy. These things are all fine things. Nothing wrong with them. But they will not last your life. No. And the value that I feel from them will only last as long as they're, you know, as intense and obvious, you know, as they are now. Well, the more, yeah, the more valuable the man is to you as you age, the more he will reject you for a younger model. Mm-hmm. Right? Because he's alpha, right? You want the alpha guy. Okay, well, the alpha guy, like, well, who's Brad Pitt dating now? Some yeah. model in her 20s who's in some weird, creepy European <laughs> open relationship from hell or whatever it is, Right. But he's not sitting there saying, oh, you know, I'd really like a pear-shaped woman in her 50s. <laughs> it's just not, not going to happen, yeah. right? Unfortunately, right? Or fortunately or whatever. It's just a reality. So you're going to think of it like a man who's very, very wealthy, and he knows for mm-hmm. sure he's going to lose his money in his 30s. He's mm-hmm. going to lose all. Now, he can sit there and, and he can buy all of his friends lots of fun trips and buy them, and they're going to hang around. But then when he loses his money, they're going to not be his friends anymore. What value is he bringing? He's got he's to put the money aside and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm wealthy. I can't really hide that. I guess I could hide it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, I'm going to lose this money. I, I'm not going to have this money in 10 years. So yeah. I got to start building my life like I'm broke, or at least I've got to be conscious of that. And it's the same thing with women. You are going to be broke in 10 years. Yeah. And if you can't, Find a way to bring your life into a soft landing. It's going to be a Thelma and Louise hard crash, right? And the soft mm-hmm. landing is use your attractiveness to get the best man you can, commit to him, yeah. and then put the public beauty aside. And again, I'm not saying go out looking ugly or I'm not saying anything like that, but you put the public beauty aside. Okay. And you put – because – 
the reason why it's not, I'm not trying to blame the victim, right? I mean, the wolf whistles and the comments and all of that. I'm not trying to blame the victim here, but you will be quite surprised once you fully commit to a man, how that stuff will diminish. Yeah. And it will diminish. Why? Just because you'll present yourself differently or it's you'll magic. Be- <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, I wish I, I don't know. Like, it's like Don McLean and his dad died two days after he thought his dad was going to die. Well, maybe he noticed his dad's coloring had changed. Maybe his dad had different breath, yeah. uh, which indicated some sort of viral infection. Maybe he was sagging a little more. Maybe he was leaning a bit to the left. Maybe he was slurring his words in a microscopic way or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, right? Uh, so maybe he had some premonition that wasn't based upon psychic phenomena. You know, 80% of communication is nonverbal. And, and if you are fully committed to a man, mm-hmm. you will walk differently. You will hold yourself differently. I don't mean sort of beaten down, but you will just communicate out there in the world Yeah. in a different way. And I say this from experience. Like I went from women being um, not throwing themselves at me and nothing like that, but it was like, you know, women uh, um, uh, being receptive or, or open to this kind of stuff. Man, the moment I got involved with my uh, the woman who's now my wife, that's done. Mm-hmm. Right? You, I don't know if you're just not putting off signal. And again, I'm not trying to blame you yeah, for any of this. But it, you, you'd be amazed at, you know, if you want to deal with that kind of stuff, just commit to a man and, and that. Right? So let's get back to the question. What mm-hmm. do you have to offer yeah. without sexuality, without attractiveness, without that stuff? And this is not rhetorical, right? No, this no, like, it's a real, oh, it's a, I mean, right. I, I'm not saying you can come up with a list of 10 things off the top of your head, <laughs> no, no, but no, that's no. the question. If you want to have certainty, then you yeah. got to answer that question. I feel like I'm not, I have nothing to offer. And I suppose that is, no, not that I suppose we have discovered that like, that is what this sense of just uncertainty and then this sense of doom emerges because I realize that within all of the power I have at the moment... I know that I'm powerless because once that is is gone, then I have nothing. Right. Oh. Well, and you actually have worse than nothing because you have regret. Yeah, yeah, actually. Of like, I, why didn't I use this to settle down? Yeah. Now it's gone get, and I can't, I, right? Like the guy who, I, why didn't I invest the money that I knew I was going to lose? Exactly. And I remember, and I keep saying, I remember, I remember, I've listened to like a lot of your shows. <laughs> like, I really like you. Um, there is this woman who uh, you had done a call-in show with, and I think she was like 47 or something and like living with her mom. And she was essentially just allowing her life to serve as a warning to others, like, don't do this. And she did this the thing, you know, she was the hot young thing and she flirted with the 40-year-olds and she was, you know, their, their girlfriend. And then she broke up with them because she wanted to date another more richer guy when she was 25 and then before you know it you know she's 35 and it's like oh well this is harder and then before you know it she's 40 and there's literally just nothing and now she's just living with her mom or like the woman um estrogen-based parasites the woman who was in her 50s and was dating a guy in his 70s and just waiting for him to die so she could get the house I think yeah. I may have used the phrase straddling a Nazgul for cash or something like that but uh <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's grim it's grim. And that flip where you go, I can't get a 30-year-old, but I can get a 65-year-old, that happens like overnight. It does, which is so strange. It's like, okay, so you're 37, you know, and then it's like you can't get a 30-year-old for many reasons. Um, a 40-year-old, well, probably married. 
Um, or if he's successful, he wants the 30-year-old. Yeah. Oh, he would always say that as well. Yeah. It's like, well, why would he want to go with you? He would either go with someone who's 30, who maybe is just normal and have like one kid. Or if he wants a heap of kids, just go with a 22-year-old, like the hot girl down there or the 27-year-old or whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah. So that is what it comes from. Wow. Just this sense of this is all I have to offer. And, so and that means that the that man who's interested in, and I, I don't want to read your mind here, so I'm just telling you what I think, and you correct no, me, of course, do. if I go astray, Sarah, but mm -hmm. I've always thought that there's a kind of contempt for men in women who are working their looks, because the man has to pretend that the woman possesses all these other kinds of virtues, yeah. when basically it's just <laughs> lust. And the fact mm -hmm. that the man is looking at her and saying, oh, you're wonderful, you're the best, you're, I love you, and this and that, she knows deep down it's just the pants. She wants to get into her pants. I think there's yeah. almost like a level of contempt mm -hmm. uh, around this, like, like a drug dealer who, who you know, the, the drug addict but no money is just hanging around and laughing at all his jokes. It's like, you're only here for the drugs, man. You don't care about me. I agree with that. And um, I'll share, you know, from experience, um, before uh, I, I just said to say, <laughs> whatever. James, before James and I um, got like, you know, began speaking again and whatnot, there was a gentleman at the gym who was 40 and just older and very much, you know, my type or was my type, obviously. It's not my type anymore because um, I like functional, stable people. Um, but just expressing, oh, you know, I don't like have a lot of time, but, you know, I was I was hurt in the past and I'm not like really looking for a relationship, but you know, if you're like available and just kind of very, like, you clearly don't care about me. You clearly just want to fuck me. You know, you like literally you've, you've only seen me in the gym. You, you know, I work out. This is all you know about me. Um, and you just want to fuck me. Lord, you know, that I'm virgin. Um, and I felt just like, like, no, go away. Yeah. And, and it has not been until recently that I felt that way when I've received attention, you know, sh strictly because, oh, you know, it was squat day or whatever the case may be. And I think that that fact that someone who is very much my type um, or was my type, as I said before, was giving me the attention that I liked, you know, complimenting my physique. And, and just briefly, the reason why I enjoy compliments on my muscularity, not necessarily like my my body but like my muscularity if that makes sense is because like that's something that i earned you know you don't i'm quite muscular for a woman and it's quite difficult to put on muscle as a woman and i'm quite strong and like i'm proud of that so i kind of oh no like, i have you down you know, on the list of people i'm going to call if i have to move but anyway that's a different, different <laughs> oh yeah matter. no my dad's like that too it was his birthday recently i'm like what do you want he's like uh can you help me move some shit to the dump <laughs> like, are you serious <laughs> that's He's no, like, and yeah. I had, I, when I used to work out more and I, a friend of mine was moving and he's like, you got to come help me move. I'm like, dude, this is just for show. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a showboat. This is not a boat for cruising. You don't go fishing on this boat. Like, I, I, this is just for show. This is not for work. Yeah, I understand that. I definitely like both. I very much enjoy being very strong um, and I enjoy, you know, uh, looking lean and whatnot. So sometimes I, I get frustrated with myself because I can't lift as heavy as I would like to. But that's besides the point. Um, but I do enjoy, you know, compliments of that nature because I earned that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But it was just so, like, so gross and so shallow. And, and the script that he used was, like, so predictable. Just the vague, oh, yeah, you know, I've been hurt in the past, so I'm really guarded. It's like, no, you just want to fuck somebody. Like, well, and uh, this is the thing, right? So... 
fundamentally a hole is a hollow. A hole is an absence. Yeah. It's where your body is not. Right? Your vagina parts, it's where your body is not, so to speak, right? Because baby's gotta come through it, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a hole. It's like if if a man wants a woman for her hole, he wants her where she's not. He wants a hollow. He wants an absence. He wants yeah. something that isn't there. Yeah. That's interesting. I never thought of it in quite those. Yeah. So that's why when that occurred, I'm, I, I immediately thought, you don't care about me. You just care about, you just want to fuck me. Right. And that's you know, why every time you get a man through that kind of appeal, you yeah. are uncertain because he's not there for you. He's there for something I, that isn't you, which is your whole. I understand. That's the and price that, you pay. Everything comes yes. with a cost. Everything You get all this attention, and the price you pay is uncertainty. Yes. Wow, that's all, like, literally, that's always been the way that, you know, I found boyfriends, you know, yep. and significant others and, and whatever, you know, just flings and... That's all we, wow. And it, it's interesting as well, because now that I'm taking um, steps to really see this type of shallow behavior for what it is, I think back to the moments like with men who obviously only wanted where I am not, as you put it, and I used to kind of smirk and be like, hm, you know, and now I'm just like, oh, and I like, wish I could have told my younger self, like, this is, this is stupid. Well, you know? and, and, and the whole point of culture is to keep this knowledge from you, which is really, really sad. Like, our, our culture has become, and our art has become so corrupt that it's all just about female empowerment, and you're a superhero, and this is going to go on forever. It's just a way of luring no. you into, into infertility. No, it truly is. And at my, uh, my longer email that I had originally sent to James, and he and he's, uh, was like, okay. You know, and I said, I'll abridge this because it's quite long. Um, but I had mentioned at the very end, you know, I know that this is what like the leftist feminists want from like a young, pretty girl who is successful, you know, who is really trying this to uh, behave virtuously insofar as sexuality goes. And, and this is what they want. Like they want you to experiment with this female empowerment, which is not empowerment at all because they're. They are emphasizing where the woman is not as a way to gain this empowerment. This is what they want. They want you to fuck around and they want you to, to be used and they want you to have that thousand eye penis stare. And then when you're 35, you can get a pixie cut and walk around in comfy shoes and join their women's march and, and talk about whatever Republican is most popular in office and how he's Hitler. And that's what they want. Right. And, and it's also yeah, different it. for women, too, because when men are successful, they provoke envy. But a lot of times when women are successful, they provoke a kind of hatred that men don't really quite <laughs> fathom. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, that's uh, that's why women generally tend to be a bit more egalitarian than men, because men are out there competing, and we, we just you know win yeah. lose, and and you got to shake hands afterwards and all that, and you got to stay friends when you lose, otherwise you're a sore loser, and that's kind of sad, right? But mm -hmm. women, I don't know, it's uh, if you veer too much, the men are always drawn to these ex extremes, right? But for w women, you got to kind of sit around the middle, and and you know this used to be called like a stitch and bitch. Right, you just get together and, and complain about your husbands, right? Yeah. And um, I remember talking to a woman who's like, "Oh yeah, I'm hanging out with these women, and there's a book club, and they're all complaining about their husbands." And she's like, "Man, I love my husband. He's like a great guy." And I'm like, oh. "I can't say that." 
I can't say that because if I do, I'm going to get daggers. Yeah. Like they're, they're going to hate me because I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm sorry that you have these sad husbands. I'm sorry that you have these uh, mean, workaholic, weirdo husbands. But like, I'm totally happy. I can't wait to get back to my husband. And like, what are the women going to say? Oh, that's great. How did you do it? How do you do it? And they're going to be like, oh, you're just too good for us, I suppose. And roll their eyes. and oh, Yeah, right? that's true. That would be the response. I do wonder if, if knowing that, knowing that most women just kind of feel at minimum just unpleasant feelings towards their husband um, for whatever reason um, kind of provokes women who would otherwise have happy marriages to be very nitpicky and, and very naggy and essentially make problems like where there aren't any problems for the purpose of doing the, the stitch and bitch. Yeah. So uh, women, women who feel that they did not get the quality of man that they somehow deserve will spend mm -hmm. the rest of their lives clawing that man down to nothing. Oh, that's dreadful. Yeah. It really is. And and I, look, like don't marry the guy. You you, you, know? you get you get what you you settle for. That that's what mm -hmm. you get in life. You know, if you're willing to, if you're worth, you think you're worth fifty bucks an hour, but you're willing to work for twenty bucks an hour, you get paid twenty bucks an hour. You can't say I'm being ripped off for thirty bucks an hour. You get what you negotiate. You get what you settle for. That's life. That's the so. If if you think you could have gotten some am, amazing guy and you ended up with some guy who's not amazing that's sad yeah. it's tragic i guess but that's that's what you're worth you're worth what people will pay you and not a penny more you know that's if if there's no magical universe where you're worth more that somehow you're being ripped off yeah. for not getting it if you think you got you could date some genius supermodel and you end up with some fat cashier from walmart <laughs> it's like yeah. th there is no fantasy platonic genius supermodel there that 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 someone stole from you it's like that's what you settled for that's what that there's no other standard that that's what you settle for if that makes sense right and no, and this that... idea that there's just this perfection out there like oh my life would be better if i didn't have these kids or if i had a different husband it's like but you chose to have the husband you chose to have yeah. kids this is yeah. your life and chasing this ghost of higher standard perfection that you never achieved is so destructive and it makes everyone around mm -hmm. you so miserable and you could be yeah. happy your mom could be happier uh, she a lot could... happier. oh my goodness she could i've had this for literally years like, I, again, I'm 27 now. I remember having this conversation with her at, like, 13, you know, just trying to, to explain to her ways that she could very easily just alleviate the situation, whatever the doom is, like, whatever the chaos is. And I would say, just going back to thinking, um, you know, you, you end up marrying, like, who, what you think you're worth. You end up being with who you think you're worth. And I, I suppose, until very recently, I've often just, viewed myself with somebody who possesses like my father's very brutish qualities and just yet again just managing his anger and managing his temper but still someone very industrious and very capable and just sighing and wishing that I was with like a nice a nice man who can have endless thoughtful conversations with me and just thinking well you know it wasn't meant to be and uh, again, again, thinking like my mom, when I get to heaven and I'll ask God, why didn't I end up with, you know, this man and, and why? And God, you know, would look at me and just say, well, because you chose this person. Right. <laughs> I gave you free will, honey. <laughs> you chose. And this is what you did with it. Don't blame me. Yeah, exactly.
exactly. And I remember um, it's so it's so simple, but like just hearing a therapist say it was very powerful. And I go back to this moment often where things started kind of clicking. Um, and she looked at me after some crazy um, monologue of gobbledygook, emotional feeling nonsense. Um, and she's like, listen, everything in life is a choice. And she, you know, you can choose this, you can choose this, you can choose this, this is what you know you've now chosen. And it was just such a, 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 a simple sentiment, but very powerful. And I've said that, you know, to my mother, I've said that to my brother, and I've tried to just explain very nicely, you know, and gently, but straightforwardly, you know, everything in life is a choice. And he chose my half brother um, not to get married. Um, and because the person he chose to date on and off for five years was this, you know, unstable woman with this spawn of Satan of a child um, who he really did not want to be involved with. But now that he has all of these health issues, he wishes that he had just married her because then at least he wouldn't be alone in this way, you know. So everything goes back to a choice. Right. I mean, and people I found Sandra that. Bullock attractive and then she married some <laughs> lunatic tatted up. Yeah, who she... guy who had a car show who ended up, I think, cheating on her and they got divorced. Yeah. And it's like, OK, so it's a good thing that uh, I didn't let my um, no, it wasn't just hormones because she's also very charismatic and, and funny. At least she was when she was younger. And Jesse, Jesse James, right? That's what it is. <laughs> Jesse what James is his name. And it's like, oh, that's really, really, really sad. Right. It's like, OK, so that's yeah. who she is. Right. So it's all show and there's no soul. There's no person there. Yeah, and how like how sad is that for for really anybody, but especially for just the quote, you know, normal person, for there to just be nothing there. You know, the thing that you identified yourself with was something that was not um eternal, so to speak. Um and then it it's gone and you're just this emptiness and in the case of women, um, I'm sure the, the cougar movement or the cougar trope is like a real thing for a reason because, you know, women are horny and they don't have a husband. So they're just like, well, you know, whatever. Take me where I'm not. And Well, and no, the you- whole cougar thing is just kind of a myth, too. It's just a way of trying to prop up the sexual market value oh, of women yeah, in their 40s. Like what is it's it like, no, they're, they're, pre- they're, they're often hitting uh, menopause, they're, pre- they're perimenopausal, and they're depressed. And they're just trying to grab that last thing before they go under, last bit of young flesh before they go under, and it's really, really tragic. Now, James uh, seems to know quite a bit about Jesse James's penis size, and apparently that's what he had to offer. Uh, was he like Mr. Beer Can, Mr. Tripod? All right. Okay, I don't, I don't know, obviously. But, uh, but James does, and I'm just, well, I want to share that with the world. That, uh, <laughs> Is that what he just said? That's, that's some pretty specific trivia there. I just wanted to mention that. This is why it's good that James doesn't edit these shows. Um, <laughs> that's awesome uh, let me take the credit okay yeah now we have a we have a good name good name for the show <laughs> what is what is this I don't, I don't know but it's going to be something to do with Jesse James's penis oh size apparently God. see it's, it's where you aren't happened. but apparently it's where quite a lot of him is okay um, <laughs> like how did this conversation go from I don't know I can't connect sexually to Jesse James's penis uh, it's a journey um, <laughs> it's a journey <laughs> 
Well, I can say that. Um, so that, that this is, you've probably heard this uh, uh, allegory. There's a man on the roof in a flood. A man on a raft comes by and he yeah. says, come with me, I will rescue you. No, I'm waiting yeah. for God to save me. Man yeah. on a motorboat comes by. No, I'm waiting for God to save me. Helicopter, blah, blah, blah. The man dies mm-hmm. and says, Lord, Lord, why did you not save me? God replies, come mm-hmm. on, I sent you a raft, a motorboat, and a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like very much how I feel like about James. You know, it's like, and and I said, and I truly mean this, that he was just so memorable and the way that we engaged with each other was just something I kept trying to find. And I would I would find someone, you know, who's who's lovely, who's fine, but we were just missing, you know, that those nuances that you experience with somebody that make make them stand out to you. I remember right. I was just kind of pseudo philosophically asking my PhD holding big brother and his wife. Um like, is it possible to, like, transfer the affection that you have towards someone to someone similar? And they, it was kind of like a, a fake question. But they they laughed at me. And my brother was like, no, because you're not a robot. You know, there, <laughs> right. there are reasons. And he doesn't often um, comment on these kind of uh, feely questions that I have. Usually his wife uh, does all of that. So when he does, it's usually a great one-liner. Um but my sister-in-law had said, just as, as if I brought someone who's, who's 30, who's a, a nice, mild-mannered man, who wears glasses, who, who teaches philosophy, who, you know, has hair like Ringo Starr. And, and I said, here, you know, love him the way that you love my, my husband. You would look at me like I'm insane. It's like that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to take these, these very genuine feelings that you have towards somebody for nuanced reasons that some are, are you know, mystical, whatever. Um, or you've always said that love is our response to virtue, like our involuntary response to virtue. So the virtue that I see in him that I'm obviously involuntarily responding to, you're trying to take that and just put it somewhere else. <laughs> and that's not you know, how love works. And that's not right. how attraction and relationships work. And so, I, I get kind of Old Testament when it comes to the punishment that people should receive for leading people down the wrong path of love. I'll go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly probably not going to work out. Why? Because <laughs> he's Machine Gun Kelly. And he's basically like the cover of Ray Bradbury's The Illustrated Man. I mean, he's got more ink than the first folio of Shakespeare. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, but the problem is, is that she's like, oh, he's the coolest. Oh, he's the best. Oh, yeah. So she's programming women to go after these shock haired yeah, body oh. paint lunatics. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, it didn't work out. It didn't. It's like, good. I hope it hurts. I hope it hurts so much. And I hope you cry. And, and I hope that you say to people, don't go after people named Machine Gun Kelly. I don't even <laughs> know who the hell he is. There's so many people now. Like, Army Hammer. What does he do? I have no idea. I have no idea who half these people are. Celebrities doesn't really keep track this stuff anymore. But I'm pretty sure that Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly is not going to work out. But it's probably going to do a lot of damage before yeah. it doesn't work out. Because she's probably going after some uh, unfortunate victim of, I assume, child abuse like like this this young man. And uh, it's Or, or Charlize Theron, right? Uh, this is considered to be uh, one of the most beautiful women mm-hmm. around. Do you know how long it's been since she's been on a date? Oh, golly. I, I would imagine a while because she's old. Ten years. Really? That long? Well, I, I think the price she had to pay as being a South African star was to adopt these kids. And, you know, maybe guys don't want to raise some other guys' kids. You know, I've heard that's yeah. sort of a thing. Yeah. And, yeah, um, I've heard that yeah, 10, 10 years. 10 years she's not been, been even been on a date, as far as I know. Like, and that's like, yeah, it's a good, good thing you worked out. Good thing you're real pretty. 
No, and that that is, you know, I guess uh, something that I've realized, I've realized many things through this conversation, but one of the things is that if people who have a great deal of power are still subject to, you know, the uh, inevitable decline of sexual market value, then certainly like us normies are very much subject to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, because you don't have a whole industry propping you up that way. Okay, so let's end up with this. And I I don't think I didn't notice that after our three-plus-hour conversation, you praised your brother for being succinct. Anyway, um, (laughs) but uh, what I would say is that, uh, you know, what what do you have to bring to the table outside of physical attraction? Yeah. And the reason you've got to ask that of yourself is the purpose of your physical attraction is twofold, to get and keep a man and to have and raise children. Now, do your children care how muscular you are? Do your children <laughs> care how hot you are? Do your children care about your hair? Do your children care about the size of your butt? Or, you know, they don't care. They, they simply don't care, particularly when they're babies. They have yeah. no, I, they, they care if you love them, if you're emotionally present, if you're eye contact, if you take pleasure in their company, if you're not suffering from postpartum, if, like, all this kind of stuff, right? If you're, yeah. if you're available, if you're there, if you're uh, taking pleasure in their existence so that they can learn to love themselves that way. I mean, that's what they care. They don't care about how nice your calves look in high heels when you're reaching on the top shelf for something, right? They don't care. Yeah. They don't care at all. And so the whole purpose of sexuality is for children and babies don't care how sexy you are. I mean, they and care, they care that they exist, which means you had to be attractive to someone, right? But, <laughs> but, but that fundamental question is, what do I have to bring to the table? You don't have to wait till you're 60 to answer that question. You could answer it next year if you're holding a baby in your arms. You've got to be able to answer that. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of women who go through postpartum, my obviously amateur nonsense opinion, but I believe the women who haven't answered that question like Brooke Shields, she, she wrote a whole book, I think, called And the Rain Came Down about postpartum. And I don't know Brooke Shields from a hole in the ground, so to speak. But if I had to guess, I would say that a lot of women who go through postpartum have not answered their question, who am I if I'm not attracted to someone romantically or sexually? Who am I? Yeah. And then they someone comes into the life, a baby comes into the life who does not care about that at all. And they don't have an answer to that question and the hole falls out of the bottom of their personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, I suppose that is something that I don't have a clear answer to. Like, that, like who am I? You know, I guess that's why I ask myself that at 3 a.m. when I wake up. Right. And I feel like a sense of doom. Like, I don't... And the babies will ask that, and they will insist upon that. Yeah. And you can't manipulate babies, and you can't get babies to, you know... You can't get them to love you by being pretty or like they don't, they don't, they don't care. They don't <laughs> okay. notice. It doesn't matter to them at all. Um, yeah. It's like, okay, are, are you going to feed me? Like, Are you going to love me? Are you going to feed me? Are you there for eye contact? Yeah. Are you distracted? Are you unable to find, do you, do you not take pleasure in me because I can't give you the dopamine of wanting you, so to speak, right? Needing you yeah. is different, right? Mm-hmm. So the answer as to what you have to bring to the table outside of being physically attractive is, of course, virtue, moral excellence, moral courage, 
And I want, like, I want that so much. That's like, like, I desire that tremendously. And as I told you, I recognize that I have a lot to, and I recognize this before, you know, we discussed it, that I have a lot, you know, to make up for because of just my flakiness and just my inability to commit for longer than two weeks and, and yes and no and yes and no every other six seconds. So, like, I deeply desire, like, to be virtuous. But like, your family of origin does not want that for you, I believe. I could be wrong, but from mm -hmm. what you've told me in our last conversation, we've had a lot of, long, lot of chats now, right? We have. I believe that they do not want you to enact. They don't mind you thinking about moral excellence, Yeah. but they don't want, they're like the fat family that doesn't want you to lose weight, because if you lose weight, mm -hmm. it means they can. Yep. So if I have a virtuous, moral, happy marriage, or when I have a virtuous, moral, happy marriage, they will, you know, be forced to see that it is possible and they'll have to think about, well, what, what did we do? Why did we go wrong? Why has this person who we raised been able to kind of avoid this trap that we have not been able to avoid? No, but they will never be able to avoid it because they're no. past that time of attracting yeah. people based upon that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very, very we, few people are going to find married. true love in their 60s or 70s or 80s. I oh, mean, cause, golly, yeah. Right? So, so here's the, when you're around people whose damage is irreparable, yeah. they are 150% committed to your failure. Yeah, on average, in general, right? I would be some iron rule like physics because, you know, there's still free will. <laughs> but certainly if they don't acknowledge that they made mistakes and you should do better... Yeah, they haven't acknowledged that. And they never will because their problems are irreparable. Yeah. They can't go back. There's no time machine. They can't fix things. That's why there's just this grim march to a probably welcome grave, right? Sadly, yeah. I know at least uh, for my mom, like I straight up said to her, you know, not that you want, you know, my father to die because I, I don't think that, but I'm sure when he does that you will feel a you know, uh, an appropriate sense of sadness, but I suspect you'll feel relief. And not for nothing, but if I was married and my child had the audacity to say that to me and it was false, I would go insane. But she didn't say anything. She didn't yell at me. She didn't, you know, say you're wrong. She just looked at me. But here's the, here's the truth, though, Sarah. She won't be one tiny bit happier if and when he dies. Oh, that's terrible. It I won't never change. Thought it won't change. Oh, my God. That's he terrible. is a reflection of her unhappiness. And in fact, she'll probably be even more miserable because she's been living on the hope that she'll be happier when such and such yeah. happens. And then when such and such, like, this is another reason why people get depressed. They say, oh, I mean, uh, I'm unhappy now. But boy, when I have kids, I'm sure I have a baby. I hold that baby. I'll be happier. And it's like, nope. Baby is not a magic happy pill that's delivered to you by the gods so that you don't have to deal with your shit. <laughs> it's true. And just like, you know, uh, a marriage isn't, you know, a magic happy pill delivered no. to you by the gods so you don't have to deal with your shit. Right. Right. Which is what it's always been presented to me as, you know, which is why it's, oh, you just, you just have to wait for it to, to be magically presented and, and dropped and then all your problems are gone. But that oh, no, and, and it's what makes people, because they believe there's a magic pill, they don't do the hard work. Mm -hmm. 
They believe there's some circumstances that are going to jolt them out of our unhappiness and going to send them. And, and we, we see this shit all the time. Oh, my gosh, I got X, Y, and Z product. Oh, look, I, I lost oh. a little bit of weight. Oh, I got these stockings. Oh, look, I, I have new <laughs> eye shadow. I have smoky eye of, yeah. of the gods. And, and, and my mom had this, oh, I'm going to get a nose job. And, and, and my nose is going to be smaller and I'm, everything's going to be fixed. It's like, nope, 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 nope. There is yeah, no external stuff. solution to the problem yeah. of insecurity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. moral excellence, but moral excellence is, I think, going to put you in conflict with your family. And I wish it wasn't the case. I wish no, it wasn't the case, but I think it is. And that's probably why it's such a challenge. Probably because, you know, I feel responsible for these people. You know, I feel as we talked about, I'm just the, the one who was selected like to manage these people. And I've even had my older sister say, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that you're there because they just need, you know, to be watched. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. Right. You know, just feeling like you don't want to leave people in their own self-destruction. But, you know, thank you. Like, I, there are so many just aha moments, um, as Oprah said. <laughs> I hate to use you and Oprah the same sentence. <laughs> no, I think that's, oh, that's totally fine. That's totally know, fine. Um, uh, listen, well, first of all, you have, you have a huge amount to offer. Obviously, you have very strong oh, will. You're you. very intelligent. And you are a great conversationalist. Thank you. And, you know, very thoughtful. You've taught me stuff. Uh, you've learned some stuff. Uh, it's been a really, really great back and forth. And I really, really appreciate that. So, yeah, I think you have a lot of curiosity, a lot of, I mean, you're interested in philosophy and and, mm -hmm. and uh, all of that. And, you know, you want to be a mom. And, and it's like, yeah. there's like, lots of wonderful things about you. And I think that you should uh, begin to recognize and not blame yourself. You know, women are sold this bill of goods like, oh, just be hot and everything's going to yeah, be great. And, mm -hmm. and and nobody's happy with their body, right? Because the, the more attractive nope. your body is, the more you're like, oh, my God, this tiny little bit is sticking out. And I'm a, a mm -hmm. bikini model. So you never end up happy with. So the women looking at the bikini model is looking, oh, my gosh, I wish I had that body. And the bikini model is looking at a bikini model six months younger saying, oh, my God, I wish I had that body. Mm -hmm. and anyway, so. Um, I think that you do have an enormous amount to offer and Thank your you. curiosity and your intelligence and your verbosity and so on is, is really delightful. And I think that uh, if you can just pry yourself loose of some of this unfortunate propaganda that's inflicted on all yeah. of us. And listen, when I was your age, I was not nearly as far along the road as you are. So you should be enormously pleased and proud about that, I think. Uh, and and uh, I would certainly, at your age, I would have looked up to you as much wiser and you would be. So um, I hope that that gives you some um, encouragement yeah. about all of this stuff. And, you know, yeah, as James pointed was... out, you, you were talking about your mom. You were trying to talk wisdom into your mom when you were less than half your current age, right? So you were 13 <laughs> yeah. and you're, 20, you're old, older than 26. So less than half your current age. Yeah. In other words, your 13-year-old self was closer to being born than to your current age, and you still haven't fi been able to fix anything. Yeah. And that's not your fault. Thank you. Honestly, obviously, I have, you know, a lot of respect for you. James and I, we, we often joke and we say, okay, at the very least, you know, Stefan will get a Christmas card every year, and we might name one of <laughs> after nice. him. I appreciate that. <laughs> like, who's getting the Christmas card? Oh, this person, this person, Stefan Molyneux, this person, this person. 
others. Yeah, it's funny. Out, yeah. out there are a, a, a number of just little things that I've done. Like people are like, oh, could you give so-and-so a birthday greeting or whatever it is? I'm, I'm happy to do that stuff. So uh, just, just shoot me a, a message operation at freedomain.com if you would like that because um, um, I, I live for you guys, at least in this realm. All right. Uh, please keep me posted. Uh, do give my very best to James. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening in uh, on these, I think, amazing chats that we have. Uh, you are the greatest listeners in the known universe for all time, too, because um, there will never be a sh another show like this because this show has already been here. So thanks, everyone, so much. Thanks for James for getting all of this stuff running. Please don't forget to support the show. I hate to say it's more important now than ever, but it it is kind of a little bit, a little bit that way. Uh, freedomain.com uh, forward slash donate. Don't forget to check me out. Uh, freedomain.com forward slash connect for all the various places you can keep track of what it is that I'm still doing. Love you guys so much. Have yourself a great, great evening. Uh, I guess I'll talk to you all on Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, I haven't forgotten that uh, we, we did some trivia games recently. And I don't know if you guys like to play cards. I kind of do. And I've got a pretty good setup for playing cards remotely. So uh, let's uh, set that up through the uh, board. And um, I uh, will look forward to that as well. Take care, everyone. Bye. Well, thank you so much for enjoying this latest free domain show on philosophy. And I'm going to be frank and ask you for your help, your support, your encouragement, and your resources. Please like, subscribe, and share, and all of that good stuff to get philosophy out into the world. And also, equally importantly, go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show, to give me the resources that I need to bring more and better philosophy to an increasingly desperate world. So thank you so much for your support, my friends. freedomain.com forward slash donate.